mankind needs to move forward, you know, and we're not going to be moving forward as long as, as NASA keeps us living in this fantasy world. Ladies and gentlemen, we These guys are not going to deter me from, from completing my objective, and that's proving beyond a shadow of a doubt that the moon missions were faked. And I've, you know, it's an ongoing battle to the finish, I guess. And I'm going to continue doing it until I either die or, or NASA publicly acknowledges that the moon missions were faked. You know, I, I am not afraid to die for the sake of the truth. And if I have to put my life on the line to just to get to the to the truth, then so be it. It's going to be quite a show, I can promise you that. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Banal of America Audio, with your host, Tim Banal. What is going on, my friends? This is Tim Banal of BanalofAmerica.com, with another edition of BOA Audio Season 6. Lots of in-house notes to discuss, but we're going to save those for the end of the program. Because I don't want to bore people who've been waiting way too long for this episode. And in the future, these in-house notes will make no sense at all. So tune in to the end of the program if you want to find out what's going on with these technical difficulties we've had the last few weeks. And before we dive into this week's edition of the program, of course, we got to give kudos and thanks to Peter Diggins, who supplied the theme music for this week's installment of BOA Audio. You can find out more from him at www.orophonic.com, and that's spelled A-U-R-O-P-H-O-N-I-C.com. If you're a musician out there and you want to contribute a song to BOA Audio for a future installment of the program, you can do that by writing to boaaudio at hotmail.com, and I'd be happy to give your tunes a listen. Now, let's get down to business on this edition of BOA Audio as we return to the realm of the moon hoax theory with our guest, Jera White, known as the grandson of moon hoax theory. Chances are, if you listen to this, you've heard a lot of paranormal audio over the years, and you've heard the moon hoax theory discussed and dissected countless times. I know I have. So I went into this conversation with Jera White with a whole different perspective, I really wanted to explore the world of moon hoax theory. How did it start? How did it evolve? And why is it so potent on both sides of the argument? Those are the sort of the areas we're going to be covering here in this conversation. Jero is going to tell us about the man who really kicked off moon hoax theory, Bill Casing, and then the man who he turned the baton over to, Ralph Rene, and how those two men led to Jero White becoming the grandson of the moon hoax theory. We're going to really get into what is, I think, one of the most fascinating aspects of the moon hoax theory, and that is the passionate stances taken by both sides of the moon hoax debate, the people who insist we went to the moon, and the folks who are adamant that we did not. They are both just fired up about their sides in this argument, more so than almost any other paranormal genre. So that's fascinating to me, and we're going to explore that with Gerald White, because really he has become the face and voice of moon hoax theory here in the new millennium. Speaking of these vitriolic stances from both sides of the moon hoax debate, we're going to hear about Gerard's encounters with Phil Plate, the Mythbusters, and Buzz Aldrin. He's confronted all these folks 
with serious questions about the moon landing, and you're going to find out about how those encounters went down. We're also going to explore conspiracies surrounding the Apollo 1 and Challenger shuttle disasters, and we'll get into the meta levels of the moon hoax theory debate, including why in 2011, whether or not we went to the moon still matters. Why is this a huge issue anymore? It was 40 plus years ago. We're going to get into all that, plus tons and tons more, really a slew of challenging questions covering this most peculiar genre of esoterica. It really is one of the more odd corners in the world of the paranormal, and altogether it is an edition of BOA Audio that takes a fair look at an often dismissed and highly controversial area of the paranormal with the man who has championed it here in the new millennium, Jera White. Before we get to Jera's bio and background, I want to give props to Michael, a BOA Audio listener who wrote to us last year and suggested we have Jera on the program. As we say all the time here on the show, it is your program, my friends. BOA Audio belongs to the listeners, and once again, the influence of the audience is on display here with this installment of BOA Audio. Now, for those of you who are unfamiliar with Jera White, allow me to provide you with a little background on him. Jera White is a native of Australia who debunks the Apollo hoax debunkers, both in forums and through film. He holds academic qualifications in film and TV at Sydney Institute of TAFE and is currently doing his BSc in astrophysics. Since 2006, he has produced over 300 videos on the subject of the Apollo moon hoax theory. These include the ongoing Moon Faker series, Flagging the Gems, and Apollo Zero. He is the contributing editor to MoonMovie.com and is considered by many to be the honorary heir of Ralph René, author of NASA Mooned America. He's got a new website coming out soon, maybe online by now. You can find that at www.moonfaker.com and you can check out a slew of his films at his YouTube channel, youtube.com slash whitejera, and you spell that white, W-H-I-T-E, and then J-A-R-R-A-H. Links all over Banal of America, so be sure to check out his films on YouTube. And with all that said, let's get down to business, my friends, and rock and roll. This interview was recorded on March 26, 2011. Jera White, direct from Sydney, Australia, talking about the moon hoax theory on BOA Audio Season 6. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of BOA Audio Season 6. And I'm sure we're about to embark on what is certainly going to be a controversial episode in a lot of ways, but I'm personally really looking forward to this conversation. Our guest calls himself the grandson of moon hoax theory, and we'll get into that sort of affectation, if you will, in a little bit. But I I really think that that is certainly very apropos, because he's really carrying on the tradition of moon hoax theory now. He certainly seems like the third generation of researchers here to really be a proponent of the moon hoax theory and challenge the mainstream perception of what happened there in the late 1960s. And he's doing a fantastic job of it, I'll give him that. Personally, I'm not a huge proponent of the moon hoax theory, but I leave the door open for it, and that's why we're having this conversation here on the show, and especially because I'm very interested in the moon hoax theory community and how this field has evolved over the years. And as I said, he really is sort of the cutting edge of moon hoax theory right now. He is the driving force behind the field in a big way, and he's really changed the way moon hoax theory 
is showcased with his amazing YouTube channel. You can find that at youtube.com slash whitejera. And actually, I should point out, too, that he is a guest who was requested by one of the BOA Audio listeners. So as we like to say from time to time here on the program, you know, you call out for the guests, and we'll bring them on the program to showcase their work and talk about their research. I've been sitting back and enjoying a lot of his films here for the better part of the last couple of days. There's like over 400 movies on his YouTube channel, not just dealing with the moon hoax theory, but dealing with other stuff as well, and really fantastically produced stuff. i got to give him credit for that. I mean, these are things that you could easily imagine seeing on television. They're very well made, so kudos to him. I'm talking about Jera White coming to us all the way from Sydney, Australia, 15 hours ahead of us. Hopefully tomorrow is looking good already. And I'm looking forward to talking to him and having him here on the program and delving into the moon hoax theory. And I hope all you folks out there are going to come along for the ride as well. Jera, welcome to BOA Audio. It's a real thrill to have you on the program. It's good to be here. So on. Well, let's start out with the bio, the background. You know, who is Jera White and how did you get turned on to the moon hoax theory? Well, when I was a when I was a, a young kid, you know, I was always interested in um in uh, in space and and uh, you know space travel exploration that sort of stuff. And you know, I you know I, I kept studying it well into my into my into my teenage years and stuff. And uh, you know, ultimately, I wanted to be an astronaut. You know, someday I wanted to be the first man on Mars. You know, because I looked up to these to these to these astronauts. You know, these um these guys who were you know said to have been been the the guys who went to the moon and all that. You know, and uh, you know, I, I, I studied the um, the Apollo program. I studied um, the the solar system, the um, the, um, the galaxy, and everything else. But a few years later, right? This is like much much later right, in my um, much later in my life. I um, see this program about how you know how they're saying that the, okay, the moon missions were faked, and we all say, oh, this is interesting. This is interesting. Could this be could this be true? So what I did, you know, I, initially I took it with a grain of salt, right? But um, I went back to everything I had previously learned about astronomy and astrophysics and stuff, and uh, you know, I heard, I I read, I read online, read into the read into the books, the um, the various videos and stuff that the um, that the conspiracy theorists were putting out, and um, you know, along the way, obviously as well, I came across all these um, these pro NASA these pro NASA websites, mm-hmm. and. Uh, what became pretty clear to me is that, um, uh, you know, compared to everything I, I knew, everything I had I'd learned since and, and so forth, it, it became pretty clear to me that um, these pro-NASA websites were essentially just propaganda sites. They, rather than, um, than, um, than actually disprove the argument, they bombard their readers with this, this pseudoscience garbage, and, and in, in, in turn as well, they also... Go out of their way to libel the um, the, the 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 other side of the of the argument. You know, they go out to libel those those on who who were saying that this was all fake. You know, by essentially by putting words in their mouth or um or you know lying about their about their their background and and you know all that all that, all this all this um this uh, diatribe that's going on. And so I finally felt, look, it's time for some guys to you know stand up you know and um and finally show for what these propagandists really are. You know, they're just that they're just propagandists. That's all they ever say on the internet. It's just propaganda, and uh, so that's, so initially I started writing up this long, this, this enormous long essay, you know, that I was going to be like posting on the Bill Casing tribute site, you know, this long, 
yeah, essay countering the thing, right? And uh, when I finally about uh, worked on it for about a year or so, and when I finally finished, it, I'm like, well, this thing's like you know bigger than a than a than a phone book, you know? <laughs> yeah. and plus I needed yeah, plus I also needed to um turn back on some sort of um some some less than less than polite things I had to say about the opponents, obviously. But um, so eventually I decided, look, why don't you just um just start take the take various pieces of it and just adapt it into um into in, into into a video, you know. Originally it was going to be one long video, but then I realized that would take you know way too long to cover in just one single film. So so what became of that was became the Moonfaker series. Just uh, each each series like delves into a specific topic, be it radiation or be it uh, uh, television broadcasts or 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 what or lighting or whatever and stuff. And so it's pretty much how they how the Moonfaker series came about. Okay, so you sort of got into this like in the last like five years or so, basically. Yeah, there was in the I first got involved in um the first Moonfaker came out in um two thousand six and I've been um been producing these videos videos um uh, since then, you know, and uh you know, shortly after the release of my first series, the um the uh, lads from Moonmovie dot com, they um they um they saw my films and they said, Hey, you, how would you like to you know, to come to come work with us? They had a um a um a project that they wanted that they were working on and stuff and they asked, Hey, would you like to help us put this together? And I said, Okay. And uh, so that film, that project was Apollo Zero, uh, which is a um, public domain film. And uh, over that time, uh, I also worked on the um, the Gem series, which was basically a um, there was flagging the gems, and there was Apollo Eleven, the little gem, which was the um, former of which was this video that was proving that the Apollo Apollo Ten telecast. This was the mission before Armstrong. See before see they were went to, they supposedly went to the moon to uh, try out the the lunar module and stuff. And yeah. During that mission, they sent back a whole bunch of, of television transmissions showing the Earth viewed from a distance and stuff. Well, I I got the I got the raw footage of this. You know, it was sold by the um by the group Spacecraft Films and stuff. And uh, what I did, I compared it to the um to the official transcript. And uh, what it what it turned out is that that the um the actual supposed live television transmissions and all that they were in fact edited, you know, pre-filmed and edited together. Because there'd be times when they're like looking back at the Earth, okay, they're just like commenting on it and stuff. Then all of a sudden, the the camera would just 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 cut from one angle to another. Like, okay, it would be be sort of zoomed out away from the Earth, and suddenly would cut to a to a closer image or 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 slightly off center image or whatever and stuff. Mm-hmm. And yet the audio would run would would still run continuous, you know, unedited, un un um uninterrupted, I should say. You know, so basically the audio was synced to this um to this edited footage. They only had one TV camera in the capsule, right? So there's no possible way that could happen. So I produced this um, video flag in the gems, and I posted it up on my on my old YouTube account. My old YouTube account was Dara White, you know. It's now White Dara. But see, what happened is that um, when when I posted this video, I also pointed out that pieces of existing Apollo 10 footage had been omitted from the so-called complete and unedited unedited spacecraft films DVD. And so I posted this video basically pointing this out. And, uh, what happened? The guy who runs Spacecraft Films, a guy called Mark Gray, he, um, he went in and filed copyright infringement against these, this, this video that I put out and got my account suspended. My old account. <laughs> and, you know, he, his, his claim is, his, his copyright claim is fraudulent because the footage in question is public domain. He's got no, he's got no copyright claim to it. Weird. Mm. Well, that just goes to show you how, how, Intense this moon hoax debate is. You kind of alluded to it earlier. It's just if it's vitriolic on both sides, it's very remarkable how passionate both sides of the moon hoax debate are. It's very uh, interesting in that way. I guess so. Uh, of course, they, you get you start to get really, really hostile people who just um just go out of just 
donuts on you. Like, um, like uh, one, one recently, one guy went as far as as, as uh, photoshopping um, pictures of his opponents, pictures of the of the Munich conspiracy theorists, including including myself. You know, in um, very in very um, antagonizing ways. Like one of them went as far as putting putting my face onto a vagina. I kid you not. What? How, that's how, oh my that's how god! These blokes are. That's yeah. just weird. Oh boy. Yeah. I don't know. That says more about him than you. So I wouldn't take it personal. <laughs> um, now you call yourself the uh, the grandson of the moon hoax theory. So talk a little bit about the evolution of this whole thing. You know where it started, how it started, and how it ended up. You know, sort of in your hands. You're kind of the caretaker of uh, the moon hoax theory nowadays. And as I said earlier, you've taken it sort of into this new generation, and especially with the YouTube uh, work that you're doing. I mean, that's that's the cutting edge, really, of of sort of esoterica right now in a lot of ways. And I think that's how you really done a great job of positioning yourself and sort of breathing new life into the moon hoax theory. So, I mean, talk about how it got to this point, though, as far as the moon hoax theory itself. Okay, well, in the beginning, all right, this is um, basically, this is way back in the 50s. Bill Casing, he was um, working at, uh, at Rocketdyne, which was one of the companies that designed the designed and built the engines for the um, for the Saturn rocket. And, uh, and evidently, the, um, the the space race began, you know, with Sputnik and and all that, and so during during the 1960s, he worked he worked at Rocketdyne between um, the early 50s, sorry, the late 50s and um, early 1960s. And in 1961, right, a, a clandestine organization called um, Apollo Simulation Project was formed, you know, by the um, by NASA and the Defense Intelligence Agency and stuff. And you know, Bill Casey, because he was very involved in um, at um, at Rocketdyne, he worked as a um, service engineer and analyst and stuff. You know, he was like checking over all the all the engines prior to um, prior to um, uh, launch and and, uh, and testing and whatever and stuff, and so basically he was very aware of this um, of this um, organization, which um, they were basically proposing all these um, all these um, ideas on how they could on how they could go about simulating flights to the moon and purport them to be the real thing. You know, he um, he one of them was basically to um, have the cat the astronauts okay go up the elevator, go into the capsule. And then come back down the the elevator again, you know, and just launch the caps the um the capsule unmanned. And during this time, all the information, all the voices and videos and so forth, they all came from from pre-recorded tapes that were then relayed over the over the landlines to the guys at Houston. You know, the guys at Houston, they don't really need to know or care where the data comes from. You know, they just okay, here it is. It's coming from NASA's manned space flights. Are, okay, well, must be true then. You know, that's that's the way they operated and stuff. Right. Anyways, Casing, he was aware of all these proposals, right? But he left before the um the actual faking took place, and uh, you know he avoided, you know he uh, he uh, he didn't pay that much attention to the um to the um to the subsequent uh, moon landing and all sort of stuff. Because like you know he 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 was he just couldn't um you know generate enthusiasm for watching for watching a, a phony a phony project you know pulled off. You know, so he didn't watch the first moon landing or anything like that. And some years later, right, because like he was very, um, he he had a habit of like um of of um bringing homeless homeless people to his um to his houseboat and stuff, you know, just to to accommodate you know the homeless and stuff. Yeah. And one of them was this fellow by the name of John Grant, who was this um this former Viet- Vietnam veteran, right? And um, basically he had he had you know regrets about going into war and stuff. And so one night he and Bill Casey were like talking, and he's like, Bill, I was conned into 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 believing what I did was patriotic, you know, but it was all bullshit. You know, he says, why don't you blow the whistle on this rotten, corrupt government? And he's speaking in satirical terms, right? He says, why don't you say something outrageous like we never went to the moon? 
<laughs> you know, he was, you know, Grant was still talking about doing a satirical project, but, you know, Casing, because of his inside knowledge and stuff, he also recently learned about um, Thomas Ronald Barron, who was um, the safety inspector, who was, you know, saw, saw all the all the poor workmanship, all the all the design and safety violations and stuff that went into the Apollo 1 capsule, and after he testified after the fire, they asked about how bad things were, he was he, he was found dead in a car accident. You know, Casing had previously had recently learned about this bloke, and uh, you know, John Grant he comes up and he says, "Why don't you, you know, why don't you do the satirical project? Say, hey, we went, why don't you say uh, we we never went to the moon and stuff?" Well, Grant he was obviously talking about doing a spoof, but Casing ultimately decided to do a serious project, you know, because of his inside knowledge and that sort of stuff. Yeah, and so he so he wrote it, so he began writing a book. The book was called "We Never Went to the Moon." Which was uh, which basically discussed all these all these proposals that the Apollo simulation project had had um, had, had had discussed during his time at Rocketdyne, and so they said basically you could call him the Apollo whistleblower, I guess if you like, but um, most people refer to him as the as the father of the moon hoax theory. Now um, his book it basically it was very well done, you know, but it was mostly about about all the proposals and. Um, and um, and stuff like that. He didn't really. De- he, surprisingly, he very he delved into very little um, little photographic anomalies or or, or any of the science stuff. Well, of course, he did discuss the F1 engine problems and all that sort of stuff. But the um, another bloke by the name of Ralph Rene, he um, he was an ex member of Menza, you know, the High IQ Society. Yeah. He was. Um, yeah, he was a self-taught engineer. Of course, he did do college and stuff, but you know, just didn't finish to get degrees and stuff. But you know, he was very gifted. You know, he was he managed to get into Mensa, which you know that requires IQ in the top two percent. Anyways, he um, basically he um, he was um, contacted. This was in the um, in the eighties, I think. He was contacted by the Rand Corporation for any free ideas that he may have on space travel. You know, like, hey, can you do you have any free ideas for poor old NASA? <laughs> and uh, okay, so basically he wrote because he had a couple of patents, you know, so. So he wrote up uh, some some ideas, you know, for space travel. I don't know what they were exactly, but basically he wrote up a few ideas, and he sent them out to the Rand Corporation. They they never wrote back to him. They never said thank you or nothing like that. But um, a few a few years later, after that, right, this was this was before he um he, when he when he, before he started doubting the moon missions, right, he was right. a believer back then, mm-hmm. and uh, you know they contacted him basically asking him for free ideas and stuff like that, and so um. So basically, a few years after he after he sent out those um, those ideas, he picks up on Bill Casing's book, and you know he starts to wonder. He also picked up on another bloke's book by the name of um, William Bryan. Bryan, he didn't um, doubt the moon missions, but he did point out various anomalies. But his belief in Apollo led him to wrong conclusions. Like he saw the flag, and he said, "Oh, the moon must have an atmosphere then," or the astronauts aren't jumping very high. Oh, okay, they must have strong gravity then. But basically, that that opened his eye up to various anomalies and stuff. Renee's eyes to anomalies, and so. A few years later, this is, um, I think this was in, uh, 1990, I think, but, um, uh, he receives this, um, this, uh, this glossy, uh, booklet from the, from the government printing office, America at the Threshold, it was called, which was basically, um, this, um, this, this, this idea for this, um, this thing called, um, Project Outreach, which was, which was basically, um, a, uh, manned mission a manned mission to Mars, you know, you know, basically proposing this stuff. And basically, this this thing was a propaganda booklet, you know, basically talking about this NASA's upcoming trip to Mars, which was only going to cost them like a trillion dollars. You know, he looked at this thing and he's like, a trillion dollars. <laughs> so, so, anyways, he's just reading, he's just reading through this, you know, having, you know, looking through the drawings and stuff. He gets it, he gets to um to page A fifty one in the appendix, all right, and you know, which is basically a whole list of names of all the of all, of all the contributors, you know, everyone who like um. Who uh, you know sent them sent them ideas, and he finds his name smack dead in the middle of this of this of this booklet, which is basically 
basically a, a propaganda you know leaflet thing, basically telling people about how we're going to be going to going to Mars next and stuff. Weird. And so basically, yeah. So basically, they because this means basically that one of his ideas that he sent to the Rand Corporation got approved. And so now they were using him like he was some like was some of their one of their supporters. You know, they were using his name like that. And so, so finally, you know, sort of angered by the by them by them using his name for something that he no longer believed in. Now, you know, if you're not going to be able to get to the moon, how are you going to get to Mars and stuff? You know. And so he began looking through the. Um, he went to the library, picked up all these books written by the by these Apollo astronauts and stuff. Like looked at their. Look at what they were. Some of the statements were just uh, contradictory, and some of the, um, the, the a lot of the photos they just didn't add up. And so finally, he was, you know, he picked up some other books written by various um, various uh, scientists, you know, like James Van Allen, for example. He he was um, sorry, he was actually he wrote a, um, a a few magazine articles and stuff. In the beginning, Van Allen was saying that the radiation was deadly for humans. The radiation of the of the radiation belts. You know, there's radiation belts that encircle the Earth, and in the beginning, he was saying that, oh, this this stuff is deadly. We're not being able to get through there because shielding is beyond engineering feasibility and stuff. You know, he also picked up on other science books. You know, like one by um, uh, Prospects for Interstellar Travel, which was by a guy called John H. Molden, who was a um, astrophysicist for NASA. He was proposing um, two meters of shielding to protect humans against the radiation of solar flares and um, and and uh, radiation belts and stuff like that. Yeah, and so. And so basically, Renee uh, he was basically reading through all these books, jotting down down footnotes, information, you know, all this dirt that he picked up on NASA and stuff. Once he's finally done reading through all this stuff, he contacts Bill Casing and he says, "Look, Bill, this is what I got on NASA. Here's all the dirt that I've got. Blah 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 da 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 da. Okay, that's all that." And Bill, he was impressed by this, and he says, "Well, look, why don't you write it into a book? If you do, I'll publish it." Okay. And so he writes up a book called um, A Funny Thing Happened Under the Way to the Moon. That was the that was the working title. The the finished title was um, NASA Moon America, right? Which is considered by many to be the most the most comprehensive um uh book on this uh on this whole conspiracy thing. And so basically um he wrote it up and then he sent it off to um to Bill Casing to publish it, but um you know, um, Bill's wife got sick, and you know, instead of using the money to publish the book, he um, used it to, you know, to, to pay for her medical bills and stuff like that. And so, so Renee he turned to some other guy, a guy called um, Jim Collier. He was going to publish it, but um, you know, the publication date kept getting pushed back and back again and again and again. And so, so finally, he published the book himself. And so, he, I guess, you could call him the father of the moon hoax because, like. Um, uh, Bill Casing was evidently the um, the uh, grandfather, and uh, Renee he basically the next the next generation up. And so finally, you know, when I, when I began my my investigation into the um, into this whole moon landing stuff, uh, I, uh, I managed to get in touch with um, Ralph Renee, you know, and he um, basically uh, uh, granted me interviews over the phone and um, sent me a whole a whole basically stacks of his of his of his papers and um, and you know. Basically, all the, all the, all the, all this information on Apollo and stuff like that, all these videos that he had, all these all these um, all these papers and stuff. Yeah. Basically, he left everything to me and stuff. Uh, some people have considered me um, um, Rene's heir because, like, you know, I, um, I I went out of my way to defend him a lot, you know, from these propagandists on the internet and stuff. Mm-hmm. And you know, I um, I made sure his research was um, was out there, you know, because like uh, because uh, because the you use. His um his book surprisingly didn't get as much attention as the um as um as most of the as most of the propaganda stuff that's on the internet. Most of them, most of the of them, if, if you 
most of them, before I came out, most of them didn't even know, he didn't even read his book. You know, they only knew his research from the few interviews he had given on the television and stuff. Right, right. And how other people, like, picked up yeah. aspects of his argument and used them to, as pro, you know, yeah. for the moon hoax. I, I, you know, I heard Yeah, exactly. Half of them didn't even hear the name. Of, go of, ahead. Well, I've heard it segments, you know, of interviews with him where he just points out that, you know, a lot of the moon hoax theory is just people using what's in his book. You know, so I, yeah. Yeah, no, I can see how you are the heir in a way, as you say, because uh, if he left all this stuff to you, he passed away in December of 2008. You're sort of carrying on his legacy. Yeah. And like I said, uh, you're the third generation of this. What's Bart Sabrell then? Sort of like the wacky uncle? <laughs> the wacky, well, there were two. The, the Bart Sabrell, he came along and um, he certainly helped um, helped get the um, get the the um, the Monarchs the attention in the in the te- in the um, in the TV media, I guess. But um, he never really took on an official title and stuff. But because, um, like, I, uh, I believe he, I believe he only knew um, uh, uh, Casing and um, and um, and Renee during the production. Because, like, he actually interviewed um, uh, uh, the two guys during the production of um, a Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Moon. Yeah. You know, originally it was just going to be a, a a film about okay, maybe how this might have have been a hoax and stuff like that. But then later on, he picks up this footage and stuff, and. Uh, and the footage basically showing that the Apollo 11 mission was faked, where they were putting a transparency over the window, a transparent picture of the Earth over the window, letting the, the, the light from the other side shine through, making it look as though it's the Earth far away when they turn the capsule and share your lights out and stuff. Yeah. And so basically, he included that, he included that footage in his, um, in his book. That, um, he, produ- he produced a, a, um, another film as well, um, Astronauts Gone Wild, in which he, he um, interviewed or encountered, you know, most of them were, um, were like, you know, speaking at public places and stuff, basically, which he tries to get the astronauts to swear on a Bible and stuff. Oh, yeah, everybody knows and, about his uh, run-in with Buzz Aldrin, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually met Buzz Aldrin just a, um, just a few months ago, as a matter of fact, but uh, getting them shortly. But uh, so anyway, Sabrell, he produced these videos. He later released the footage that he received on another DVD as well. But um, he retired from the from the moon hoax thing about in um, about a few years ago. In um, I think it was 2000. 2006, I believe it was, and uh, basically, uh, shortly after that, I was approached by the um, the lads from MoonMovie.com, and they they uh, said, "Would you like to join our little team?" And I said, "Okay, sure." And that's how that's how that went about, I guess. So um, in the in the beginning, MoonMovie.com was was um, promote was promoting purely um, Sabrell's work and stuff, but uh, now the site is uh, mostly Moon Hoax in general, not just Sabrell's work, but also David Percy's work, Jim Collier's work, uh, Ralph Renee's work, obviously, um, Bill Casings, and of course, and of course they've got um, links to all my various um, my various Moon Faker videos and stuff. So uh, so Sabrell yeah, retired. Yeah, he he retired a while back. Yeah. Interesting. Did he give any reason, yeah. or was it just sort of? Um, I'm not out. sure the reason why, but you know, um, you know, I don't, I don't delve into other people's, people's um, personal reasons and stuff. You know, yeah. my style. Yeah, no, I just was wondering if he, you know, made a statement that he was retiring, or he just sort of decided not to pursue it anymore, or what. That's all. Um, very interesting. Okay, so so that's sort of how you how it led up to you sort of carrying on this yeah. tradition, and, and you make a good, interesting point here that Casing sort of laid out sort of the idea, and Renee sort of filled in a lot of the details, if you will. Is that kind of how it, how it shook out over the years? Yeah, pretty much. Basically, um, Casing, he was, he was this, the guy who blew the whistle on the, um, on, the, on the Apollo simulation project. Renee came along and backed up most of what he said with technical, and, uh, technical data and um, scientific research and stuff like that, 
And um, then I came along and basically helped, you know, get their work out and, you know, pick up on all the lot more of the current stuff, stuff because like if you understand like they wrote the, they wrote their books one of them, the first one was written in the 70s Renee's book was written in the in the in the um in the in the 90s of course it received a few few updates here and there you know over the, as the years went by but um yeah my my series um it's the, it gets all their information out to the to the next generation and um and picks up on on all the new information of the of this generation right now you know like there's been a whole lot of new stuff that's been popping up lately and stuff you know, like the um, like the smart one crashing into the moon and detecting, finding out that the minerals, the uh, actual rocks that are actually up there on the moon, are different to the ones that we have, you know, from the from from the Apollo missions. You know, like if you go to the moon, pick up a moon rock, you and then you send a probe to crash there and check up moon dust for you to analyze. You'd expect to get the same results, yet the stuff that's actually up there is different. So that's sort of like a new and, development in moon hoax research. Yeah, there's a whole lot of new developments coming up, and. Um, uh, re- re- there's a whole lot of new stuff that I've been meaning to discuss, but regrettably, I've, it's been, I've been, you know, a little sidetracked lately. What with the, um, with propagandists constantly, you know, releasing all this, um, bullshit on the internet and stuff. So, you know, like, um, okay, this is back in 2008, you know, I just released my, um, my radioactive anomaly film and I was working on Moonfaker Exhibit D, which was a film about, um, the moon rocks and, uh, laser reflectors and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, and Renee, he passed away. You know, he um, he committed suicide. He committed suicide. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you, as you might as you might already be aware, see, so Renee, he was a um, he worked for many years hard labor. You know, like as a construction worker and uh, stuff like that. And he basically did both his knees in and stuff with arthritis. And you know how badly the um, how bad the um, the um. Yeah, Medicare is in the, in the United States. He couldn't get um get in, get get health coverage. He couldn't get the operations. They subjected him to pre-operation stress tests that a that an Olympic athlete with a strained walker couldn't pass, let alone an man on a walker. And uh, you know that's the way he had been for the rest of his life. And so, and uh, what made matters worse is in December he was in this car accident with his girlfriend, and uh, the 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 um the crash it worsened his regular hip pain to the point it became an insomniac. My goodness. And so. I know, and so you know, it's very, very tragic. Very tragic. You know, he could just not able to take the, take the pain anymore. He, um, he, uh, two days after the accident, he uh, asked his girlfriend to go home early. You know, he had prepared a bunch of um, goodbye cards, you know, to send out to his friends and stuff. And um, basically, he left his will there for his neighbour to find, and he, he put a shotgun in his mouth. My God. Yeah, yeah, and so. Yeah, obviously, you know that was I was devastated when I heard that news. I was the one who actually announced announced his death publicly, and um, yeah, it was very, very, very upsetting for me. Wow. Uh, but what what was yeah? But what came upsetting even more was when propagandists they began um they began uh, releasing videos basically celebrating his his death. You know, putting words in his mouth and stuff like that, alleging that he thought dinosaurs coexisted with humans and such bullshit like that. You know, basically. You know, it's bad enough that you attack some guy who's is dead and no longer able to defend themselves. It's you know, but they're just they're just they're just treating it like it's like it's a celebration and stuff. Yeah, that's disgusting. No matter you know, if you disagree with the guy, that's one thing. But well, as I said, this is a very vitriolic debate. I mean, it is. Yeah, exactly. You don't see this with Bigfoot or or even with UFOs anymore. I mean, you just don't. Or you know, maybe with the nine eleven thing, but even then, it's not as as just. Vicious on both sides of the equation. Uh, you know, it's very runs very deep, and you wonder why 
why that is. I mean, do you have an opinion on why people are so passionate one way or the other about this moon hoax or the moon landing, um, you know, concept? Oh, well, as you, as you, as, uh, as you probably might be aware, there are a lot of Americans they consider the, um, the alleged first landing on the moon as the, as a, as a, as a source of national pride. Like, oh, look at it. This is our greatest achievement. It's, it's always ever going to be the biggest, the biggest thing we've ever done. You know, it's never going to be, be, be topped by anyone and stuff. But, you know, some people might be, be hurt by the, by the fact that, okay, this didn't really happen. It was just a, a propaganda, a propaganda hoax, you know, and so, so some people might be very vigilant, you know. Some people they just don't want to believe the, um, believe the, um, it's like, it's like a kid when they, when they just find out that Santa Claus doesn't exist, you know. When, yeah. when they, they don't, they initially they want to deny it. They don't want to believe it or anything like that. But, you know, they, when the facts get, you know, too overwhelming for them to deal with, you know, it just, it just becomes clear that this is all hoax, you know. And so what you, what they've been, what they've been, been, um, praising all their life is, is a lie. And of course, you know, some people they just they just come to accept that. But then you've got others who who know that they're lying, know that they're lying, and they just continuously tell 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 bullshit to protect that lie. The guy, um, Phil Plate, for example, the um, he runs the Bad Astronomy website. He constantly put words in Bill Casey's mouth, like alleging that he he believed all space travel in general was impossible. And Bill Casey made no such statements. And in fact, in the very same interview that Plate often referred to, okay, Casey explicitly said that possibly the unmanned surveyor did land on the moon. That counts as space travel, doesn't it? That's what uh, it sounds like to me. Exactly. So Plate, he's just lying there. And in fact, I actually went to Tam A to just, um, just last year, you know, the amazing meeting, this James Randi convention thing where Plate was appearing. You know, I basically tried to, um, I went there to, to question Plate about, about a few things. One of them was the fact that he has constantly put words in Bill Casey's mouth. And, uh, basically I, I encounter him, he tells me to go schedule an interview and stuff. You know, it was like they got a, a yeah, some press guys organizing interviews and stuff. I go walking around the place for about an hour or so, I can't find anyone, I can't find the press agent. I meet him again just during the break to question him about Operation Dirty Trick, which was an idea to, um, to blame Cuba for the, um, for the death of John Glenn if he died in space. And yet he claims the idea that the, that the, that NASA murdered the Apollo 1 crew is a, a loathsome accusation. And well, how do you explain Operation Dirty Trick then? I showed him the document. At first he claimed he didn't know about it when I've been sending him emails about it that he constantly ignored. He says, oh, I say, you have any, you have any comment on this? And he says, nope, never heard of it. And I say, you never heard of it. And I sent you emails about this. And he says, I tend not to comment on that because the evidence that we went to the moon is overwhelming. Now he now he admits that he that he that he's that he's seen it, right? And but you know the the question was about 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 whether or not the government was willing to um to let John Glenn die. I didn't I didn't even mention the moon in um in the um in the when I showed him the document. You know I was yeah. just you know showing him the the evidence that the that NASA and the government was willing to let the one of the astronauts die. But anyways, he tells me again to go go schedule an interview with someone. Okay, go, go, go find the, go find the press agent and, you know, so I finally, I went back to the reception again, right? This time, it was only luck that the press agent was in the other room. You know, he manages to, he managed to schedule a, um, a 15 minute one-on-one interview with Plate. And so, uh, okay, so I, I was, you know, I was going to interview him after the, um, after the speech that he was going to give. And, uh, in the meantime, Adam Savage was also giving a speech. You know, Adam Savage from the Mythbusters. Yeah. And, yeah. uh. Go ahead, but I, yeah, so, yeah, let me yeah. jump in here and give you props. Uh, before we get into the Mythbusters part, because, I mean, first of all, I think almost you're underselling it a little bit here, because you flew all the way from Australia to Las Vegas to confront these guys about the propaganda, as you call it, you know, alleging that the moon landing was correct. 
So I mean, kudos to you for having the balls and the and the wherewithal and the and the drive, I guess you could say, to to fly all the way across the planet in the name of this uh, of this theory. Don't sell yourself short there. And and you really took it to the uh, MythBusters guys there. So talk about yeah. that. I sorry to interrupt you, but I wanted to give you praise here for uh, you know a lot of people. It's easy to sit around and 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 do things and not actually do the <laughs> the heavy lifting. But as I said, you're flying all the way across the planet to uh, take this issue right to the the folks who are alleging that the moon landing happened. So what happened when you? confronted uh, this savage character from uh, Mythbusters? Well, first of all, I would like to say that I didn't go there primarily for the, um, for, the for, 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 you know, encountering the, um, the propagandist. I also went there to pay my respects to, um, to Bill Casing. You know, his ashes were scattered, were scattered in um, Santa Barbara, and, uh, you know, I went there to, um, you know, to pay my respects there, you know, with his daughter and stuff. Okay. But uh, anyways, the, um, yeah, when, anyways, when I went to, um, to, um, to Tamay, basically, okay, Savage, he was giving his, um, his um, speech, you know, and uh, when it was done, he, there was this Q&A session, and he basically he says, now if anyone has any um, any things that I screwed up on the show that they want to talk about, you know, I'll just raise your hand. I'm saying he didn't ask for it. So basically <laughs> I raised my hand and basically raised my hand and I pointed out that his uh, his Moonhawk show was built on botched experiments, like the, um, the, um, the uh, when they were doing the, the wire jumping, the slow motion stuff, you know, they... The conspiracy theory is that the the slow motion, the the, the sorry, the low gravity footage on the moon, in the moonwalk videos and stuff, that was done by suspending the astronauts via wires, you know, wandering around on this on this moon set, and then they slowed that footage of them on wires down, down to 67%, right? And um, originally we thought it was um, 50%, but it turned out to be 67%. Okay, you know, we, everyone makes mistakes now and then, but you know, we, I just that we correct them and stuff. Yeah. Anyways, they, we, they, that's the, the idea is that they that they that they were filmed on wires and the footage of them on wires was slowed down, right? But they shot the, they shot the two heads of fakery separately. They shot first of all, they shot Adam Savage running around without a wire in in um, in, in slow motion, right? And then they shot him at full speed. Suspended by a wire, jumping up and down. So obviously they're not going to get the the results that match up with the with the Apollo footage. And the ironic thing is, is that if you actually take the footage of him on the wire and slow it down, and then play it alongside the original Apollo Apollo 16 footage, you get a near perfect synchronization. Exactly. I raised, yeah, I know. I raised, I raised that point to him, right? And he was like, he was like, uh, I hadn't thought of that. So look, what we do isn't science. We're just an entertainment show. Just an entertainment show. We shouldn't be considered the definitive, de facto place for the scientific analysis of the moon landings. That's that's pretty. That's a, that's a pretty pretty big shocker, considering that how they constantly gloated how everything was busted. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Well, you know, skeptics across the board have a very pernicious way about them. A very smarmy sort of uh, superiority mm-hmm. complex that I find yeah. to be very and off-putting. When, yeah. And after the, when it was done, obviously, after the, after the, after that uh, Q and A session, everybody was like, to- everyone at the at the conference was talking about it, you know, texting people about it, and um, you know, putting up blogs about it and stuff. Oh, did he fly all the way from from Australia just to say that? Oh, hey, where did this guy come here? Like, is you know, they just weren't expecting expecting me to come there. Now I was expecting people to be hostile, but then there was actually people who actually came down and congratulated me, you know, saying, "Hey, man, you threw you flew all the way from." From from Australia, you know, just to just to come out and 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 uh, and and and, and uh, you know, point out, you know, say that to these guys and stuff, and so 
basically they gave me kudos for that, and so that was a bit of a surprise. But Phil Plate, after after the Q and A session, he, even though the, even though an interview was scheduled, right, he refused. He refused to say that I wouldn't believe anything he'd say, so I'm not going to do an interview with you. <laughs> so he wasn't yeah. even willing to have a dialogue with you about about all this. Yeah. Uh, uh, he, um, it's kind of ironic because he will go on on a on a national radio show with um with um Joe Rogan, you know, debating the um, Apollo missions. Yet he won't do any one-on-one interview with me over you know claiming that I wouldn't believe anything he'd say. You know, which is kind of ironic because like there is one thing I do agree with him on. He says if you were standing on the moon, you would indeed see the stars even during the day. And yet Neil Armstrong comes back and he says, oh, I couldn't see the stars from the from the lunar surface during the daytime and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Does he not acknowledge yeah, that yeah. whole thing? Does he just not even say anything about the Neil Armstrong part? He just, he just gives you the silent treatment. You ever, you ever, whenever you press Phil Plate, he just gives you the silent treatment. That's the way it goes. Yeah. Yeah, so as I was saying earlier, you see, like, um, when um, Ray committed suicide and stuff, you know, there was a whole lot of new material that was popping up out of the out of the woodwork, you know, like the... Um, like the um, LRO photos, the Dutch moon rock, the fact that the um, you know the Dutch moon rock turned out to be petrified wood. That one, the um, the uh, the missing moonwalk videos turned out to be erased. You know, wiped out, taped over, and stuff. This was all this this new stuff that I had planned on on um, on addressing and stuff. And but of course, first I had to fly over to um to um to New Jersey, you know, to for, to attend Renee's funeral and stuff. You know, he requested that his ashes be scattered. But um, during my absence, the, um, the the incident has turned into attack of the trolls, which left me with more propagandist rubbish to clear up afterwards and stuff that just pushed my coverage of the current affairs even further back. But um, but I'm proud to say that I've made it through the storm, and uh, I've got a new series coming up. I've got a new website coming up. It's uh, it's, it's going to be quite a show. I can promise you that. Well, good, because I, I want to see more from you. I think you're doing fantastic work, even though I'm still on the fence about the moon hoax theory. I, I'm of the opinion. I'll give you sort of my take on this, and, you know, you yeah. can feel free to, uh, you know, talk to me about it, I guess you could say. Well, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not interested in sort of like rehashing the whole moon hoax debate, because everybody's sort of heard both sides of the arguments, I think, or at least people in the paranormal community have, and they've made up their mind one way or the other, or they're on the fence about it. But I, I think that, that the moon hoax theory is sort of just uh, like a smoke and mirrors trick to keep people from looking at the UFO phenomenon. That's my opinion. I think that it's sort of like, I think that something, to to to, to use the, the phrase apparently that was passed down and, and used in the community, something funny happened on the way to the moon, but it was UFOs. It wasn't um, the impossibility of getting there. Yeah, you tend to, yeah, I tend to, to encounter a lot of UFO people. I don't delve into the UFO subject specifically, Frank, but um, the interesting fine. to note is that one of the um, one of the Apollo astronauts there, he actually um, he's actually a, a big proponent of UFOs, Edgar Mitchell from Apollo 14. Right. You know, he's alleged, he constantly comes out saying that there's um, that they're hiding something. The U.S. government is is hiding something. You know, the um, the existence of UFOs, the Roswell thing, or whatever and stuff. You know, personally, perfectly frank, I think he's I think he's just trying to do you know divert attention away from the real issue, which is the fact that the um, that his Apollo 14 mission was a hoax, as were all the other Apollo moon missions. So we almost have, we we have almost competing ideas, but at the same time, or conflicting ideas, but at the same time, we agree that something fishy happened. We can agree on that, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, for sure. For I, sure. I just don't yeah. think, I, I guess to sort of put my skeptic hat on, I just don't know if you could manage to 
to orchestrate that much of a cover up to cover up and 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 fake all those different moon landings. I mean, how many were there? Like seven or something like that? Uh, well, there was six moon landings, and there was um three, three um three orbital orbital flights. You know, like there was um the Apollo eight, which was an orbital flight with the um with the um with just the CSM. That's basically the mothership. You got another one. There was Apollo ten, which had the, the um, edited telecasters I was telling you about. Yeah. Which was the um, lunar module and the command module. Basically, they were just flying it around the moon without landing. If you know, they're just flying this thing out to see how they could handle it. Exactly. And then there was Armstrong's mission, right, and a few other missions. There was going to be Apollo 13 as well, which was supposed to be the third moon landing and stuff, but then there was that alleged oxygen tank explosion, you know, which uh, what you might have seen that film with Tom Hanks. But um, just getting back to what you're saying about about how could they have faked all of this stuff, one of the things that you constantly get in debate is, like, how could so many people have been kept kept quiet about this? How many, how could they have kept this, on you know, under wraps? Well, the truth of the matter is that secrets involving involving thousands and thousands of people can and have been covered up for decades. Some people, some, you might not have heard about this, but there was the um, you ever heard of the um, the Soviet N1 program? No, no. But I've heard the argument you're using <laughs> in yeah. favor of UFOs. Yeah. So, so I mean, okay. we're we're of the same mindset. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I I see your point of view that. That, you know, the atomic bomb was this massive, coordinated, secret project that nobody knew about until we dropped the bomb on Japan. So it's the same sort of idea, right? Well, that's, not, that's another example of, of secrets being kept under wraps. But what I'm talking about is the N1 program, which was basically the, um, the, Soviet, the Soviet equivalent of the Apollo program. They were building their own um, Saturn-sized moon rocket and stuff, but they were always they – had, they had two secret, secret moon projects, the N1 program, which was basically their – their equivalent of the Apollo Saturn V, the equivalent of the Apollo CSM, the Apollo Lunar Module and stuff. It was just a two-man mission. There was a bit of a difference in there and stuff. But um, then they also had the Proton, the, um, the Zonda program, which was basically to put a, a stripped-down Soyuz atop a Proton rocket, launch that to the moon, fly it around there, and then come back again and stuff. You know, but they were, they, were, they were constantly reluctant to use that sort of stuff because, like, in the beginning, they were told... They told they, they told Sir Bernard Lavelle, the British astronomer, that they had to postpone moon flights indefinitely because of the radiation encountered on the way there and stuff. And so, even though they, even they the N one was a complete failure, but they, the the um, Zond was um, was uh, somewhat proven and stuff. They, they sent um, they sent a, a one capsule around the moon and back again and stuff. Now, a lot of people cite this mission, the Zond five, because it actually carried turtles around. They say, oh well, if turtles can survive the radiation, then so can humans. But Turtles, they're much more resistant to radiation than humans are. You know, like a, a human can take a 500 rem, which is 500 rem, which is the um, the um, the dose, the do, the basically how much radiation a person can take before they die. You know, and um, whereas a turtle can take like um, like 15, 15,000 or 60,000 rem, something like that. You know, so you know it's apples and oranges trying to compare the two. Exactly. Anyway, <laughs> you couldn't jump off the Brooklyn Bridge, but I bet if he threw a turtle off, I bet he'd live. Yeah. Uh, anyways, the um, the uh, the whole idea is that they, after the N one was failure, it was a failure, right? The Soviets. This involved thousands and thousands of scientists and engineers. They had four, four different rocket launchers, these Saturn-sized rockets. So each one of them blew up. And after the failed, after the failure of the N one, they completely covered up, covered up, kept it kept it secret for thirty years. It was only revealed after the after the Soviet Union collapsed. And so, hey, if 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 they if they if they're if they're equivalent to the Apollo program, you know, its very existence can be kept under wraps this whole time, you know. You know, I, I fail to see how the Americans would have been able, unable to to cover up a conspiracy behind their own moon program. 
In fact, some people on the internet actually call the N1 program the real moon landing hoax. You know, people who, who you know, you still believe Apollo might and stuff. They call that the real moon landing hoax because, like, the Russians, they, they perpetrated hoax by, by claiming they had never been in the race to begin with. They say, oh, oh, we never had this, 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 um, this moon program. We never had any plans to, you know, to, to, to use anything like that. But they had covered this, this thing up and that involved thousands of, of people, you know. And so if the American, if the, sorry, if the Soviets can do it, then so can the Americans. So that, that's the reason why the whole, oh, there was so many people involved. How could they keep it? That, this is the reason why that, that, why that claim is, is by propagandists' bunk. You know, but even even so, then you got to remember too is that not everyone at NASA would have been in, you know, would have needed to be in on the conspiracy. Like the um, technicians at Houston, as I was saying earlier, they simply read what's on their computer screens, right, and wouldn't need to know or care where the videos or the or the data and stuff came from. Right. And they receive, who were they receiving it from? They're receiving it from from the from the NASA manned spaceflight network, which was basically this facility of um, NASA owned or NASA contracted facilities, supposedly receiving these signals from space. You know, and um, you know, supposedly from the moon. It was like there's some missions stayed in Earth, or but others, others probably never even left the ground. You know, right? But um, anyways, the um, the point is, right? That all all the manned spaceflight network would need to do is relay all this all this information over the landlines, and then you know, the guys at Houston would just say, okay, this came from the moon. You know, it's as simple as that, really. So they wouldn't need to know know about the about the conspiracy. So. Okay. You, you got to remember. You got to remember all those issues when people when they still come back and say, "Oh, well, there were so many people involved in 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 Apollo." It's not. It's it's just you know. It's it's, it's there's there's people who don't need to know about it, and there's facts that that uh, conspiracies involving a small number of people can be covered up. So that's just the way things are, really. Yeah, absolutely. No, I I see. I totally see your point of view. I'm still uh, open-minded. I guess. <laughs> I guess you could say it's like the <laughs> idea that I, I just feel like they would be they would make a lot of mistakes, but I guess that's what you guys are doing in the moon hoax uh, theory community is, is is sort of picking up on these mistakes that continually seem to surface in in the story. Yeah, exactly. There's, there's those photographic anomalies like the um like um like the lighting being being off, like when Aldrin walks down into the into the lunar module shadow, he appears he appears lit up, and the propagandists they say, oh, it's light uh, bouncing off the off the surface. Well. It's, if you if you actually if you actually consider how bright that thing is, the um, the lunar surface is actually as bright as an asphalt road. It has the same has the same reflectivity and stuff. And I um, I recreated the experiment, you know, using um, using an asphalt road and the and the sun. You know, I put a put a model inside a, inside a box. You know, the box was to black out the you know the additional light from the blue sky because the blue sky acts like additional light. There's only one light on the sun, so I can't use the blue sky. Anyway, I did the experiment and the astronaut came black as pitch. You know, so so obviously that reflective light thing doesn't work, and uh, then you got then you got the fact that recently the the um, to uh, try to to settle this, the Americans they they sent their 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 lunar reconnaissance orbiter to suppose, supposedly send back pictures of the of the landing site. You know, to try to, obviously that's a NASA probe, so obviously they would say that, wouldn't they? But if you actually look at the lunar the lunar reconnaissance orbiter photographs, you find many more anomalies and stuff. Like before the lunar reconnaissance orbiter came about, they were they were sighting pictures from the Cellini and the Clementine spacecraft, which allegedly show this 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 um this halo, this bright area that was supposedly disturbance caused by the Apollo 15 engine plume. But when you compare that those those footage to the newer lunar reconnaissance orbiter photos, you find out that this this mysterious halo is just the reflected area of a of a giant impact crater. Oh, weird. So, 
if that was, yeah, if it wasn't caused by the engine exhaust at all. So if this was, so where is the, so where's the engine disturbance? You know, if they, if they insisted that it would have been visible from space, well, where is it? There isn't any. Because they didn't oh, go because to the moon. Because they didn't, they didn't go to the moon, no. And in fact, and in fact, if you actually look at the, the photos, you can see pebbles directly underneath the engine bell. These things would have been blown away by the, by the engine exhaust. You know, just, like if you get a, if you get a leaf blower and stuff and you blow, blow dust away, it goes away. There's nothing left. There's pebbles underneath the, um, directly underneath the engine bell and stuff. So it just doesn't, doesn't make any sense and stuff. So do you think it's impossible to go to the moon or you think that, cause, you know, eventually we're gonna try again, either us or the Chinese or, or some other country is gonna try and make a run for the moon. Do you think it's possible for them to do it and, you know, if it's another country, are they gonna blow the whistle on the moon hoax? Well, not with 1960s technology and certainly not with today's technology, you see. They, um, as I said, one of the proposals that, um, that, that's been brought up is to use, um, two meters of water shielding, you know, to actually shield you against the radiation of solar flares and stuff like that. In fact, one of the shuttle astronauts, James Van Hoften, he and his committee, they actually released a report basically saying that the solar flares and the cosmic rays and so forth were so severe that they, that humans aren't even going to be able to, quote, get back to the moon until we can solve the, until we can find better ways of shielding astronauts. He said they'd have to be constantly shielded and stuff, and that, and that the um, that even 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 when they're on the moon, a simple a simple moonwalk would have been impossible because of the, because of the radiation, because it would be too severe to actually do any, you know, extended EVA activities outside the outside the lunar module. And in fact, he proposed hiding hiding inside a, a convenient lunar cave to protect you from the radiation. And so, good luck finding one, I guess. But um, so that's the whole, that's the whole issue. You know, so if we got, if we don't have the technology to shield astronauts and to get back to the moon, you know, how did they do it back then? And as far as as far as the as the other nations, you know, a lot of few people don't seem to realize this, but the, the truth is, it's the it's it's like a one world space government now because like every single space agency except for the Chinese, they're all working together on the construction of the International Space Station and various other joint projects with the Americans. Right. And in fact, all the time. In fact, the the Americans are soon going to be going to be using um, Russian Russian Soyuz capsules just to get to the space station that they've that they've t- together constructed. And the only competing space nation is the Chinese, which also happens to be America's free trade partner. You know, they've they're considered America's banker. You know, so I don't think they're going to be blowing the whistle on NASA anytime soon. But um, the it's, it's another funny thing too is that they constantly. You look, they, they, every time, every time there's been a proposal for a return to the moon or a mission to Mars or whatever and stuff, it always seems to, it always never seems to be, be fulfilled. For one, for what, for one convenient reason after another. Like back when they, when, you know when Armstrong supposedly landed on the moon, they were talking about sending humans to Mars by 1982. Yeah, that's by the part, that's, that's the point that I was making earlier, that I find the whole idea of space travel very fishy and suspicious because uh, you know, maybe this is because I was born after the moon landing, or the moon landing hoax, as you see it, that, you know, part of me is very frustrated with NASA in general, because I feel like it doesn't make sense that they would go to the moon and then stop going to the moon, like, in the mid-70s, and it's been over 30 years now, and they haven't even gone back to the moon. That doesn't make sense to me at all. So Exactly. So if you can understand it was a propaganda stunt, they needed, they needed to fulfill Kennedy's promise of landing a man on the moon first. Okay, we do that with Apollo 11. Now what? We've completed the objective. There's no more reason to continue 
to continue with the hoax anymore, but we've got all these other missions. You know, they had plans for manned missions to, missions to Mars, Venus, and bases on the moon and stuff like that and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, and so they needed a, they needed a reason to, to, you know, basically get out of, of, of this. And so they had the Apollo 13 thing, which resulted in the cancellation of the, of the Apollo project. You know, all the elaborate plans for space travel were effectively flushed down the toilet after that. No more plans, no more plans to go back to the moon, no more plans for Mars travel and stuff like that. But if you notice, when every time, every, 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 they, after a while, whenever they need votes or something, a U.S. president tends to, tends to propose Propose space travel, you know, to to try to boost himself in the opinion polls. Yeah. Like, okay, Bush, Bush Senior, he proposed his man on Mars by, I think it was by nine. Well, he actually he proposed a return to the moon by 1999, I think it was. That didn't happen about. Then Bush, Bush Junior, he um he proposes um, men on Mars, men on the moon by 2020. You know, this was this was in the height of the of the war on terror, the Iraq War, and stuff like that. Yeah. And. Yeah, no, then Obama comes along and says, oh, we've cancelled it because it's too expensive. Well, you've just spent, like, if, you, if I can use the numbers here, right, the constel- as of 2010, right, they, the Constellation program cost, cost about $9 billion, right, and the, the proposal was, was about half the cost of the first one, which was $135 billion, and they were aiming to expend about, um, about, um, about, uh, uh, 67, 67 billion dollars on them. So far, they've only spent nine billion dollars on them. And say, hang on, now it's too expensive. No, but now Obama, now he's proposing, you know, because he was getting his ass kicked in the um, in the opinion polls. Because now there's a whole lot of, of Americans who are going to be losing their jobs and stuff, you know, because like, okay, now we've cancelled the shuttle. And at the moment, they don't have any any launch vehicles and stuff. They're still designing the um, the Orion capsule, but they don't have any rocket to launch it with now that the the thing was cancelled and stuff. But the um then Obama suddenly just months after the uh, after he proposes cancelling the um the uh, the return to the moon he proposes okay we're going to skip the moon and head off to the asteroids and Mars we should be on on we should have a, a mission around Mars by the mid 1930s it's ridiculous how they keep constantly pushing the date so far ahead into the future you know if you're going to do it with the 1960s technology then what's what's stopping you you know it didn't take you didn't take you that long to 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 build this this rocket that supposedly took you to the to the moon, you know. So what's taking you so long building this thing to you know to get back there or to go onto 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 Mars? You know, at, even at this rate, they might as well say we'll be back on the moon by by 2100. Right. So even if it didn't happen, we'd all be dead. You know, we wouldn't know. <laughs> better better it to be a mystery than to be wrong. That's true. Uh, you're tapping into my frustration here with NASA. I'm very upset with them, and I'm very frustrated with the whole organization, whether or not they. You know, whether or not they hoax the moon landing or whether or not they're able to get there, the whole thing seems illogical to me that that this, uh, you know, concept or, or field of space travel is stalled out so much. I mean, I'm tired of looking yeah, at the pictures. Gotta... I'm tired of looking at pictures of, of, of stars and everything else. It's time to go. It's time to move, baby. It's time to get on the, the, on the ship and start flying. You know what I mean? You've got to realize one thing. If, even if, even... Even if it was real, even if the moon landing was real, you've got to admit that this is a huge step backwards from the, from you know, okay, first we we we, we were landing we were landing men on on the moon supposedly, now suddenly we we go back to Earth orbit flights. Exactly, and, that's what I'm talking. Some people, about. you know, some people have even have even commented on on how on how this this the the whole the whole new proposal seems like a step back from the um the shuttle itself is a poor design. I acknowledge that, but most people think that um, a space plane was superior superior to, to capsules. You know, first they were using capsules, then they then they they went over to space planes. Now they've gone back to capsules again. 
and stuff. And so that's another that's another step backwards when you think of it. Of course, the shuttle was that was a terrible design and stuff. You know, if they can design a better space plane for sure. You know, but you know that's. It's just, it's just a whole huge step. And now they're going to be reliant on the Russians just to get to their own space station. Who really won the space race now makes you, makes you wonder. You know, I would have thought that the leaders in the space nation would have been, would have been taking the Russians there. But no, now it's the other way around and stuff. It's so true, my friend. You know, it's supposed to be the best and the brightest uh, down there at NASA, but it, it didn't seem like they know what, what the fuck they're doing. That's the frustrating part, mm. you know. Anyway, so... Yeah. This moon hoax theory, though, it does, it, it's sort of been pigeonholed in the world of the paranormal as sort of like the bastard son of, uh, of, of the, uh, you know, of the esoteric, if you will. You know, it seems to get beyond the vitriol on, on both sides. There seems to be a, a heavy ridicule factor against the moon hoax theory. And, and, you know, before I get your take on that, I will say that I'm constantly amazed and surprised by the prominent people that I meet and talk to uh, in this field of the paranormal and, 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 and general people in the mainstream who do give credence to the moon hoax theory. So just because it's heavily ridiculed by the media doesn't mean there aren't a lot of people who believe in it, not just, uh, you know, serious researchers like you, but everyday people out there who've, who've given it some thought and are on board with the moon hoax theory. But my question for you is, you know, as the grandson of moon hoax theory, how do you feel about, you know, the the very difficult public perception that that moon hoax theory research has. Well, it, 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 it's 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 a tough job. That's all I can really say is because like, okay, I try to I I I try to educate people. I try to get the get the message out. You know, and what I get in return is 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 bullshit from from propagandists. You know, most of the time, you know, you know, sticks and stones most of the time. But then they start resorting to um to putting words in, in, in your mouth and um and uh li- libeling about you on the internet and stuff, you know, yeah. it just at times it tends to grab on you, at times you can ignore it and stuff. But the problem is ignoring the um the propaganda won't make it go away. This is where it becomes sort of a no win situation because um if you if you if you actually if you ignore it, if you just ignore the propaganda, you then get accused of running from their version of the truth. You know, but then again, if you actually address their propaganda and point out why it is propaganda, why they're wrong and I'm right and stuff, you know, you just, it, you, you unwittingly give them undeserved attention, you know, and, um, and then it distracts you from, from the, from, from the current issues. Right. And the current issues. And even after, even after you, you knock them down, you know, there's always going to be their, their, their fellow trolls and adoring fans to pat them on the back and give undeserved praise. Even after they've been debunked six ways to Sunday. So, so in the so in the end, it's, it it seems like almost like a no win situation. That's the, that's the unfortunate factor. But you know, I I I, I remain confident that um, that that uh, these these guys are not going to deter me from from completing my objective, and that's proving beyond a shadow of a doubt that the moon missions were faked. And I've you know, it's an ongoing battle to the finish, I guess. And I'm going to continue doing it until until. Until I either die or, or NASA publicly acknowledges that the um, that the moon missions were faked. And as a matter of fact, I'm actually started, you know, because one of the things that they that they that these guys often like to allege, the propagandists, they like to allege, oh, he wouldn't believe that the moon missions were real if he was flown to the moon himself and shown the artifacts supposedly sitting on the surface. Well, I began a fundraise. I began a fundraise, fly Jared to the moon at gmail.com, which is basically this PayPal account where for people to send in donations. You see, the private organization Space Adventures, you might have heard about them, they said they sent tourists aboard the International Space Station and now offering tourists to fly around the moon aboard the Soyuz for $100 million per seat. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and, uh, 
You know, you'd think that if they if they if they can send them around the moon, they would have you know at least field tested themselves before they offer it to tourists. But no, we end up for tourists now. Okay. So what I've done is um, I've started up this fundraise, you know, to see to try to raise two hundred million dollars. You know, one half of my ticket, half of one of the one of the propagandist tickets. You know, so like I'm, I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to find out how many propagandists are willing to make good on that claim that you know I'd be unconvinced that the moon missions were real if I was if I was flown there myself and shown the artifacts. You know, this is not not also to see if the radiation you know firsthand whether or not the radiation is survivable, which I know it isn't. You know, and so I know that if I do hit the 200 million and go on this thing, I won't be coming back. But you know, it would be, it would, it would be beneficial to 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 both sides of the things because we'll have this. You know, first-hand and proof whether or not the radiation is survivable. You know, if I come back, back at back at dead or, or or dying and stuff, you know, then you'll know that it, that it, that it was a hazard for astronauts. And by any off chance, you know, if I somehow do manage to survive the radiation, there'll be an opportunity to inspect the um the landing site. You know, first-hand see if anything is there. You know, I've stated that I would accept a um a, a view through a ground-based telescope as 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 proof. You know, but uh, so even though we have the telescopes like that, you know, like the very large telescope in um, in Chile, it has the, an angular resolution capable of seeing the artifacts, yet haven't been able to find it yet. And so, I would also accept I would also accept you know first and 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 um, and flight around the moon if I if I'm somehow able to survive the radiation line. And so, uh, what I've got is I've got this fundraiser going to see if anyone any of the propagandists are willing to make good on that claim that I'd be unable unconvinced and stuff. I'm unconvinced if I was shown the artifacts myself. Phil Plady, in particular, he constantly alleges that, oh, if you showed them the artifacts, if you flew them to the moon and said, oh, they'd probably say that you drugged them or something. Okay, well, prove it then. Prove it then. Okay, here's the, here's the fundraiser. You submit the money. Prove it. Let's see, let's see if I can survive and let's see, see if, I'll, if, 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 if what you say about me is true, you know? But so far, as far as I can tell, the, the vast majority of, of, of donors has been people who know that I'm gonna, I'm gonna be dying from this. People who know that I'm gonna come back dead. What do you say if the capsule ever does come back? What do you mean? They're donating so you'll die? Well, they, well, they, all the, all the, um, all the people who are, who have donated are people who, are, who know that I'm gonna die, but they, um, they, they, they realize, they realize that what, what my noble cause is. It's a, ah, okay. it's a fight for the truth. Alright. Yes. I thought, I thought you meant like all, all of Phil Plate's fans are donating so you'll die when you go up there and, and they don't have to fight with you anymore. I was kind of making a joke. <laughs> that would be benefit. Yeah, well, that would be beneficial for them, I guess. But the uh, people who have who have contributed to this fundraiser are people who are who who are my fellow conspiracy theorists. People who some of them don't want to donate because they know I'm going to die, but others do because they realise this is my duty. You know, they realise this is this is this. I've made it my mission to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that the moon missions are fake. You know, get to the truth. Okay. Okay. If I if I survive, okay, I'll acknowledge, I guess, that I that okay, maybe I was I was wrong, I guess. But if I if I if I die, if I come back dead and dying and stuff, or sorry, dead or dying, I should say, you know, then we know that okay, I was right. You know, I, I am not afraid to die for the sake of the truth. And if I have to put my life on the line to just to get to the to the truth, then so be it. I like that passion. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. Are there any myths that you'd like to test but can't? Well, we still we did a whole episode on uh, <clears throat> busting the conspiracy theory that the moon landing was faked, mm -hmm. and there are some people who are still unconvinced. So we would love to, if time, money, uh, were no object, build a spaceship, go to the moon, and come back with a piece of Apollo hardware. Oh, that would be cool. All in one take. That would be cool. That would be cool. Well, can't you get a telescope 
strong enough to see the Apollo stuff on the moon? We researched it, and no. Not even the Hubble can resolve the images of the moon uh, to tight enough resolution to see actual, like, footprints or pieces mm-hmm. of Apollo hardware. Would you be open to the idea that it didn't happen? Or, 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 you would, or do you want to prove it? See? No. <laughs> what would I... See, see? In this, I have to admit to some bias that we've already been there. I, I believe absolutely unequivocally that, of course, we went there. Well, so. then you're, you're unqualified to have the tests. <laughs> How do I know you're not going to bring a piece of equipment up there? I can't trust you now. You're like evolutionary scientists. They'll do anything to prove that it's real. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. What would prove to you beyond this? Because I, I'll be honest, I'm skeptical you're going to be able to raise $100 million. And if you did, why the hell wouldn't you just leave, dude, and just go get a nice place, like in, in the Bahamas or something, and forget about all this moon crap? Because then you have $100 million. Nah. <laughs> no, that's, that's not my style. In fact, I've made a promise that every time every time someone sends in a donation, I acknowledge, you know, to prove that I'm not using it for personal luxuries or anything like that, every time someone sends in a donation, no matter how small or how big or whatever, you know, I acknowledge it in my video and, you know, basically keep viewers informed just to prove that the money stays where it is. Okay. I was just making a joke. So, okay, well, I, as Desmond Llewellyn would say, I never joke about my work. There you go. All right. I like that attitude. But but beyond uh, just because, you know, it, it, it is an awful lot of money, what would prove, what, what, what could you do here on Earth to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that we didn't go to the moon? You run up against the old argument of trying to prove a negative. So how do you how do you do that? Is it even possible? Well, there is one. There is one way to settle the argument completely, once and for all, and that is, okay, we have these um these these telescopes, these telescopes in Chile. As I said, they've got the very large telescope, and it's basically these four different, these four large optical telescopes daily chained together. Okay, and so basically, you um you 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 can look at the moon and you can see objects on the resolution of one milliarc second. Okay, now you need a you need a, a you need a, a resolution of about um two milliarc seconds to see artifacts on the moon that that that's small. You know, so this thing has a perfect capable resolution to resolve the man made equipment on the surface. So if you went to the if you went to this facility and pointed it at the um at the at the Apollo landing site, you'd be able to see whether or not there's anything up there. You know, and Bill Casing he had constantly said that he would he would accept that as a, as proof that that whether or not the moon missions were real. He says, if there's a lunar lander there, I'll, I'll recant on that, and I'll just I'll recant my, retract my claims, apologize to the astronauts, you know, about topology and stuff. And But if there's nothing up there, then, as he said, I'll rest my case. You know, and um, as the grandson, I am, I feel, I feel, I feel it is my duty to, um, to hold, you know, to, you know, on behalf of him, to hold, to hold him to that, you know. So he's, he's, he's passed away now, but um, if we can get the telescope, look through, look at the moon, and see if, we, if there's anything up there. And on his behalf, and on behalf of of myself and and all the other moon hoax conspiracy theorists, okay, I'll make a public apology to the Apollo astronauts. You know, hey guys, sorry, but you know I was wrong. And uh, you know, congratulations on your trip. But if it turns out that um, that there is, we look through this thing and there's nothing up there, okay, then I say, ha ha, I, I told you, I told you, there's nothing up there. But did you listen to me? Oh no, you know, didn't you? You know, it's it's fake, you know, and there's your proof. You know, it's quite interesting too is that the the um the uh, I think the guy's name was David West, one of the guys who was working on this thing. He said that they would try to image the 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 landing sites, and so far, as far as I can tell, there has been no 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 word on no 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 word on whether or not they been able to find this thing. As far as I can tell, they haven't released any pictures showing the the um the lunar module. Even though they've got this resolution, they haven't seen they found the lunar module yet. 
Well, it's interesting that you that that you made that statement about you know. Uh, you'd accept it if you saw the image, because, uh, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I'm about 95% sure that I sort of put that argument forward to Bart Sabrell when we had him on the show regarding, well, you know, if you could get an image of the, of the landing site and all the artifacts from, you know, a telescope, wouldn't that prove it? And he said, you know, if they went so far as to fake the moon landing, wouldn't they just fake the images then and send them out? You know, and say, hey, we just got it. We just imaged it off the moon here from this thing in Chile, and here it is. And you really, it's just something they created on a computer. I mean, are you setting not, yourself up I'm there not, for a, for a to be to be a hoodwinked, if you will? Provided you're obviously, you mean, provided you're correct about moon hoax. I saw your I saw your interview with Bob Sabrell a few years back. I haven't seen him in a long while, but um, uh, I don't recall I don't recall calling him saying anything. I'll take your word for it though. But um. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, beyond beyond the, you know, I'm I'm pretty sure about that. But but let's just go beyond that and just say let's just take it the argument that I presented there and just use it as from there. You know, wouldn't you be setting yourself up to be hoodwinked? You know, by by the original moon hoaxers, if you will. They, wouldn't they just hoax the uh, you know, the proof, if you will? It all comes down to personal opinion as to uh, as to what you feel. What do you feel is the absolute proof, I guess? But the the benefit of the of an optical telescope is that you can look at it in real time. You know, you, you know, you're looking at yourself. It's not some some image from a NASA-owned space probe that is that is encrypted and sent back to back to Earth to NASA facilities and stuff. You know, this is something that you that you're standing there. You have got the eyepiece. Well, nowadays we use um, uh, monitors and stuff. You know, but uh, you're looking you're looking directly at this in real time. You know, with this telescope, you can position it everywhere you want, whichever way you want to go to. And stuff, and so you're looking at it there. You know that that is that would be direct, first-hand, and proof, proof to anyone, I guess. So, um, so that's 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 my stance along those lines, and that's why I would accept a view through a through an optical telescope. I'm not I'm not familiar with um with um I don't recall what what Sabrell. I haven't seen your the radio show that he was on in a while back, but uh, I don't recall what he what he said along those lines. But like I said, it all comes down to personal opinion, I guess. And I as, as far as I, whatever's whatever's good enough for the grandfather. I'm sure it should be good enough for everyone else in the, within the uh, Moon Hoax movement. That's true, but knowing the paranormal community and the conspiracy community as I do, I know that nothing is really good enough in a way, you know, because it's well, just always elusive. It's like, again trying to prove that negative is just so difficult. Well, you kind of you tend to get the, you tend to get you tend to get people like that on the um, on the propaganda side of things because uh, like um the um. Now, one of the one of the big guys, one of the big guys, one of the big propagandists, Jay Windley, he he was quoted publicly. He publicly said that even if Neil Armstrong admitted that it was a hoax, he still wouldn't believe it. And in fact, he even had a had a little opinion. Yeah, they had an opinion poll as well. You know, basically, you know, asking people, okay, what would what would convince you that that the um that the emissions are fake? And the vast majority of them said that not, nothing would convince them. So you've got these propagandists who have already. Made up their mind that no matter what happens, no matter what you say, nothing is going to to sway them. They're going to be propagating this myth all their life. Okay, even if even if even if I go up there and die, they'll probably just say, oh, oh, his was an exception. They had a major flare there, whereas the others didn't. Well, the Apollo missions they also had major flares and stuff. But you know, they just they just come come with one one bullshit excuse after another, and so. No matter what you, you got, you got your different, you, there's different categories of believers. You've got people who are, who are open to, to, to both sides of the thing and, um, you know, who can be swayed, you know, can be turned and stuff. But then you've got your die hard, 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 um, 
uh, propagandists who, who were not you know who would not believe that the uh, missions were faked, even if even if the astronauts made a deathbed confession or publicly stated that. And one of the com one of the, the games that they love playing is alleging that oh the you the everyone who's a scientist believes that the um the Apollo missions are real. You never find a a credentialed expert who believes that the Apollo missions are fake. Well, the fact is some of the of the um of the conspiracy theorists are in fact uh, do in fact have credentials. Like one of them was Bill Wood who has a um, a BSc, and one of them was um uh, Dr. David Groves, obviously has a PhD and stuff, and uh, the um the astronaut Brian O'Leary, even though he believes that he, even though he says I think they did land, he says I'm not hundred percent sure. You know, and so then you've got um um there's this other guy, um, Dr. Q Zeng. Even though he doesn't believe he, even though he never really commented on the moon missions, he has expressed doubt of the recent um uh Chinese spacewalk. He said that they were filmed in a swimming pool. You know, so then you you got people who do have credentials who actually doubt the moon missions or certain other space missions and stuff and so it's but when you present them with this, they either say, "Oh, oh, they're just their credentials are phony," or if, or if they can't, or or if, or if it's beyond a shadow of a doubt that the credentials are legit, you know, they just say, "Oh, he well, he's wrong. I don't care." You know, the vast, you know, they, it's just it just seems almost like a popularity contest now. You know, it's no longer about about evidence now. It all seems to be about popularity. Yeah. So they, that's that's what they've basically turned this into now. Now another aspect of this whole thing that I wanted to talk to you about is sort of these two tangential conspiracies that are sort of lumped in with the moon hoax theory, and that is uh, the Apollo 1 disaster, I guess you could say, or tragedy, and the uh, and the uh, Challenger disaster slash tragedy, and a lot of people in the moon hoax community think that both of these were orchestrated uh, events. So I know that Bill Casing did, and since you're the grandson of the moon hoax theory, I figure you know at least uh, about these ideas, and maybe you can weigh in on where you stand as far as believing in uh, these two sort of peripheral conspiracies. Yeah, I actually produced a um, a, um, a video on this. The, it's called Moonfaker Apollo One. It can be viewed on um, on the um, on, on YouTube. It also it can also be um, it's also available on this data DVD that's um, that's released by um, by MoonMovie.com. You know, it's uh, it's, it's uh, featured on there along with the Apollo One investigation report. Mm-hmm. Anyways, the um, <clears throat> anyway the astronaut Gus Grissom. He was known to be very, um, very outspoken about the Apollo project. He constantly said that he didn't feel it would work, that um, that uh, someone would die from the, you know, you know, on the mission. That he felt, that, if I recall correctly, he said there was only like a um, a one in three chance of it actually of this actually being successful. And he he let the world know what he thought of the of the Apollo program. He took a lemon off his tree and hung it on the on the Apollo command module. And um, you know, basically, I believe the Americans refer to um, non-roadworthy cars as lemons. So yeah. basically, that was what he thought of the of the of his of his spaceship. You know, basically, the idea of Apollo One was it was supposed to be an Earth orbit flight, and it basically, if it, if it was a successful, he would be he would be slated to be the first man to walk on the moon. You know, because he was the um, he was the um, the, the, the basically their poster boy for astronauts. You know, and so he was their number one choice. And so, but basically, um, he he was very outspoken with this. He didn't feel it was going to to work. And NASA evidently they needed. They, it became clear that he would he would not go along when it was his time to 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 uh, to fake the first moonwalk, you know. And so they needed to they needed to, they needed to silence him, and they also needed to say to send a message out to all all the astronauts who would follow follow in his footsteps. 
And so on January 27th, like during a, a, a plugs out test, he was loaded into this capsule along with his crew, the Apollo 1 capsule. Now, if you, if you understand what we're sitting in right now, what the air you're breathing is nitrogen and oxygen at 14.7 psi. That's pounds per square inch. Now, in space, the Apollo capsule would have a, a um, an, an interior pressure of about 5 psi pure oxygen. Okay, and if you wanted to simulate this on the ground, right, you would need to um, you would need to pump the air pressure up to about 20 psi. All this in pure oxygen, but you know, normally, right? They do the they do the oxygen tests and the um and the um and the plugs out tests separately. Today, this was today they decided to do it. They decided to do it at the same time. They put the astronauts in there and pump up the pressure. But if that's not enough, right? There's so many other other issues that NASA they just seem to go out of their way to make the capsule as unsafe as possible. There was like five miles of wiring in their thing, all 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 really bad. In fact, um. Uh, John Young, one of the Apollo astronauts, he has made statements on the on the um, on the on on TV and and stuff like that, saying that their wires are really bad. He says, "Oh, I constantly told Grissom to to speak out about them," and he says, "If I do, they'll fire me." <laughs> yeah, well, evidently they fired him quite literally. And if he was in, if he was so concerned about the wires, then why didn't he speak out? And you now then there's also a thing called Velcro, Velcro, which is you know what they. They, um, they you use to um, to stick things together and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And normally Velcro isn't a fire hazard, but if you put it in pure oxygen, it burns like a bitch. Really? So basically, they, yeah, no. In, in in pure oxygen, even stainless steel will burn. Okay, including asbestos. Right, NASA had 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 four tests. You know, at various Air Force bases at Brooks Air Force Base and um, and uh, Johnsville Navy Air Station and um, and various other places. Right. In which, um, which, in which men were, were burned critically in, in, um, in these pure oxygen chamber tests. In that one of them, right, their guy was simply changing a light bulb, right, and what happened is that they, they, the spark happened and it set his arm on fire, set his clothes on fire, right, some guy comes, comes over with an asbestos fire blanket, you know, normally they use asbestos as fireproofing and stuff, they wraps his arm in it and the asbestos blanket caught up on fire. Oh boy! So this was in 19. I know this was in 1962, right? And NASA subsequently filed reports on this. You know that say so these tests illustrate in concrete fashion the potential dangers of pure oxygen, of pure oxygen atmospheres, right? And so yet in NASA they they considered they 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 classified this test as not hazardous, not hazardous, and so they put they 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 had all these all this confundable stuff inside there, such as Velcro, and in fact Grissom. Grissom, he was constantly complaining about that there was too much Velcro, too much flammable shit in the in the capsule. Right? He complained that to um, he mentioned that to Joe Shea during the um, acceptance test, which was in like um, October or or August or something the year before that. He was saying that there was too much Velcro and stuff like that. You know, and the the rule was that no no any nothing that can react to a spark should be within within four or ten inches within any ignition source, you know, like like wires or whatever, but the whole interior was just plastered with it, you know. They 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 covered the entire capsule interior with Velcro. Joe Shea, you know, he says that he, that he ordered... Joe Shea was the, um, was, um, was the, uh, I think it was, he was, was the systems manager, and basically he, um, he says, oh, I got annoyed, and I said, look, we go clean up the, the capsule, you know, tells that North American Aviation and so, yet they, they never removed it, right? And, um, and, and, and interestingly enough, Joe Shea, he was actually giving an interview just before he died, in which he says that, um, that Grissom was constantly complaining about this Velcro that's in there, and then he says Grissom put it in there himself. 
the astronauts, all three astronauts, they just plastered the, they put Velcro wherever they wanted, as you said. Well, if he was so concerned about Velcro being a fire hazard, why would he put put Velcro in the capsule in the first place? Yeah, that doesn't make any it's sense. Like, like, yeah, I know. It's like it's like it's like being concerned about about petrol setting your car on fire and then dousing it with, with petrol. You know, it's, uh, it doesn't make any sense. It's like it's basically it's play blame the dead guy so you can save yourself. You know, and so and 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 not not only that, not only did the did NASA know about the hazard, not only did they make it. So, so dangerous. North American Aviation, their contractors, see, there's two groups of people, right? You've got NASA who's actually trying to launch this thing, and you've got North American Aviation to, um, who, uh, who are basically building the capsule. You know, so you've got North American Aviation guys and NASA guys on the, on the, on the pad, you know, and, um, since the 1960s, since the, since the Mercury days, they, um, they, they had known that pure oxygen was going to be a hazardous. It was going to be hazard, you know, they, um, in fact, one of the guys, I believe his name was um, Frank Hendel, he submitted a um, a, um, a uh, document, a, 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 an article in, in the, in the um, uh, Journal of um, of Aviation and Spaceflight, and uh, he said that pure oxygen presents a fire hazard, which is especially great on the launching pad when the cabin is purged with oxygen at sea level pressure, right? And yet the um, the guys from North American Aviation, you know, um, Harrison Storms, the um, um, Charlie Feltz and uh, and to- Toby Friedman and stuff, they all claimed that they thought NASA was going to be doing a test at only 5 PSI. And they said, oh, had we known, we, we, we would have called them up and said, hey, hold everything, that's a hazard. We didn't know. We didn't know that they were going to be doing it. But they, yet one of their guys back in the 1960s explicitly stated that, that since the Mercury days, they, they, the pure oxygen is going to be hazardous, that, they, that it's a fire hazard. You know, they, he just said it right there that they knew that they that they do this stuff at at at, at twenty at, at basically at sea level pressure or in Apollo's case, Apollo one's case, twenty psi, which is above sea level pressure. Okay, and now they say we thought they were going to be doing it at only five psi, which, which that's an outright lie to it there. You know, and so and so it doesn't doesn't make any sense. Oh yeah, and about um about I just remember it is um. Is um he, about uh, Joe Shea. He was the Apollo spacecraft program program office manager. That's what that's what his position was and stuff. Okay, and uh, basically he he says that he said that that uh, Grissom was complaining about the Velcro, and then he says he, he says that Grissom put it in there himself. So you got a whole lot of dishonesty from from both the contractor and the and the and the and the guys who are trying to put this put this thing into space, right? Oh, and here's here's another thing too: the door on the capsule. Right. Yeah. This was a a new three layer hatch, right? Which um, which which opened inward and took about ninety ninety seconds to open under good conditions, right? In the old in the, in the Mercury days, you had a little hatch, pull the lever, pops off. In the Gemini program, you had ejection seats. So basically, if you got a, if you got a, a um, an oxygen fire in there, no worries. You just pull the hatch and you blow the hatch and all the oxygen runs out, and so that 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 and, you know all the the sea level. Nitrogen stuff runs in and stuff, and so there you go. The fire is extinguished, you know. But um, but uh, you know, because it's running on pure oxygen, so you you pull the hatch, all the pure oxygen runs out, and there you go, no more fire. But Apollo, they had they had a three layer hatch that opens inward, which under 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 all that pressure would be impossible to to get open inward, right? And here's the thing: the the hatch could only be open from the outside. The, the 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 they could only open from the outside, and in an emergency it was pre- completely unusable. And a new hatch had just been designed, which could be opened within 20 seconds, 
right? Uh, I believe Gordon Cooper, one of the one of Grissom's buddies from the from the Mercury days, he said that that could probably would have saved Grissom. And the, here's the thing: the the Apollo the 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 this the Apollo one plugs out test was to be the the last time the old hatch was ever to be used before they refitted it. But here's the thing: it was also the first time they were going to use this this hatch. Weird. Yeah, I know. So, so they, why, if, they, if they were going to replace the hatch with an easier one, why wouldn't they just, just postpone the test until they got the new one put on? You know, so they, they went out of their way to make it, to make the capsule as unsafe as possible, you know, and then, and then, and then, um, what else was there? Okay, here's another thing too, okay? There's, there's, when they, there's, there's conflictive as to when the fire actually initially began. You see, um, and officially, only 15 seconds went by from the first mention of fire to the moment that the capsule ruptured. You see, as the capsule, bur- as, the, as the oxygen burns and stuff, the, um, the, all this, all this smoke and pollutants and stuff fills the air and increases the pressure to the point that the capsule bursts. Yeah. You know? And so, basically, it says that, that only 15 seconds went by, but other witnesses reported that, um, that the first mention of fire was about, was, was minutes away. Like, um, Baron, Thomas Ronald Baron, one of the one of the safety inspectors who was actually complaining as well. He was actually fired prior to the um, thing for for releasing his findings to the um to the, to the press and stuff. And so you know, after the fire, he testified saying that um one of the guys, a fellow by the name of Hal Holmberg, he um he, he stated that the first mention of fire was about um was about ten or twelve minutes before the before the um the capsule actually ruptured, and that they had tried to get out for five minutes, right? And um. Now, Holmberg later denied what he, what he told Baron, but another fellow, a guy, an RCA technician by the name of Gary Probst, he, he told a similar story. He said that it was at least three minutes or so before, before the, from the, from when the fire astronauts first cried out, and then when the capsule, uh, basically filled with flames, because he was watching the actual thing on the monitors. He was actually watching the thing, and he had it, there was a group of other people watching it with him, and he was like screaming, blow the hatch! Why don't they blow the hatch? Uh, he didn't know that they didn't have a have a um have an explosive hatch, you know, like they had on the Mercury days and stuff. Right. Basically, um, basically he was watching this thing, and they were having a discussion as to how long it would, how long they their their suits would protect them from the fire, and like how, you know, could they get out or not? How long would it take to get the hatch open and stuff? And so, because like during this time, they they the, during the time of this conversation, right? They um the 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 air inside it was still clear. And shortly after, then after that, about two or three minutes after that, they, the flames uh, began to lick in front of a window. And here's the thing too: Paul P. Haney, one of the um, guys at NASA, the um, he he actually after the fire, he acknowledged that they had videotape of the disaster, you know, because like they had a camera there watching the um, right. watching the capsule burn, right? So they had videotape of the disaster, right? Now 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 we are told there's no videotape. There's no videotape. Mark Gray, who actually sells. You know, stock footage. You know, the spacecraft films guy who 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 used the DMCA abuse, right? He um he he has publicly said that there is no that there is no footage of the fire. No footage exists, even though NASA on the night of the fire they actually confirmed that they had videotape of this stuff, right? Now now we're told that no footage of the fire was was recorded. Weird. Right? Well, we know that footage. Of, yeah, I know. We know that footage of the fire exists, and NASA and evidently spacecraft films are suppressing it. Okay, they, we. Uh, you know, quite frankly, I wouldn't want to see the see the footage. You know, I don't want to see the, the astronauts astronauts die like so horribly. But we we that footage needs to be released because we need to we need we need you know proof we need we need proof that you know, just to how long these astronauts 
astronauts last year. Now we need to know, settle this thing once and for all because we've got witnesses saying that they we saw them they saw them trying to get out there for like ten or five minutes or so, all right? And now now NASA is told that the first mention of fire to the moment the capsule rupture was only fifteen seconds. Now I, I I wouldn't want I would I want I don't want to see the I don't want to see that see the astronauts dying as much as the next guy, but that that footage needs to be to be to be released to set the record straight. Yeah, so we can study it and figure out what actually happened. Exactly, exactly. We need to we need to we need to set this 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 aside. Was it fifteen minutes? Was it was it was it ten minutes? Was it five minutes? Was it fifteen seconds? Which was it? You know, we need to we need to just just set set the record straight once and for all. And, so and they, but, yeah, but, the, but they're saying that it doesn't even exist. So it's high even. They're saying it doesn't even exist. Yeah. So you're almost. Yeah. There's, no, there's, no, there's no further you can really take that then, right? I mean, if it if it yeah. if, if they say it doesn't exist, and what are they going to one day just say, "Oh, we found it"? I mean, there's no. You're at like a dead end on that, I guess, right? Yeah. No. It's um, trying to we're trying to to. Get NASA to 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 acknowledge the truth is like talking to a brick wall. Exactly. You know? And um Well what about yeah, that's that's the that's the Apollo that's the Apollo one for you. Yeah, basically Grissom White was 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 complaining about that Apollo said it wasn't gonna work and NASA they needed to silence him. He opened his mouth, he had to go. Recently Gus Grissom's son, Scott, he was actually granted access to the um to the to the wreckage. You know, the cat steel it's stored in um in um Langley Research Center, I think it is. And he was actually granted access to the remains of the capsule, and he found evidence that a metal plate had actually been shoved behind the dashboard to deliberately trigger a spark when an astronaut pressed this button. Wow, that's quite an allegation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what about so the Challenger the theory here? Now, what about this theory, conspiracy theory, uh, that, that there was also, you know, an orchestrated disaster to maintain silence, if you will, and I'll let you flesh that out. But talk about that conspiracy theory, because I'd never heard uh, that aspect of it all. Okay, well, if you actually speak to any of the Apollo astronauts, or any astronaut for that matter, and ask them about the stars, okay, they would actually they would actually not comment in any way about stars. They would say, oh, well, you don't really see them on the on the nighttime side, or they maybe they be dim and fuzzy or whatever and stuff. Okay, it's like, because like, in the beginning, Neil Armstrong, he comes back and he says, I couldn't see stars from the daylight side of the moon, and yet we've got other astronauts, we've got um, cosmonauts and um, going up onto the daylight side of the Earth and saying that we saw stars. The Earth is much brighter than the, um, than the, than the, than the moon is on the daylight side, so you'd think you'd be able to see stars from the moon's surface. You know, and it seems like NASA has basically made it this, this party line to the astronauts, do not ever talk about the stars. Yeah. You know, and um, Krista McAuliffe, the um, teacher who was um, who was who was um, chosen for the Teacher in Space project. Now, Krista McAuliffe, she was um, a very outspoken woman. She refused to be scripted by government handlers. You know, she was she she didn't she would she refused to be to be censored. She refused to um to basically basically tell bullshit to the class because you know, like the education in America is pretty poor to say the least. But she she wanted to tell it like it is. She wanted to make sure that, that that everything was told accurately, so it's unlikely she would have said you can't see stars while whilst on the daylight side of the Earth, you know. And um, okay, here's the thing about the Challenger, right? The Challenger was launched in um, in um, in cold weather. Okay, so um, I'm going to be measuring in um, in um, in metric. So uh, the temperatures the temperature was about um, uh, on the on the launch conditions was minus one degree Celsius. Minus one degree Celsius, which is about. Um, let me do this. Do the calculation. Well, it's certainly one, below minus freezing. One degree, and, and you know, it's yeah, below one freezing. degree Celsius in. Yeah, 
Yeah, so basically, I think I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit. I use I use that metric, but anyways, it was, it was the launch conditions was uh, minus one degree Celsius. Now, uh, prior to the uh, prior to the just the year before that, right? They had another mission in um, in January of the year before, in January 1985, which was um, Discovery's um, STS 51C mission. Okay, they all have their own mission numbers. Like a Challenger was STS 51L. This one was STS 51C. And there was Discovery launched in temperatures of only 10 degrees Celsius, which is also freezing. And um, and uh, basically, the the you see what we have the um, the shuttle. You can understand, right? You see the launch boosters, right? You see the external tank. You see the um, the two right boosters on the other side. Those are basically for lifting the weight of the fuel tank because it's too heavy for the shuttle to carry. You know, on on the launch pad and stuff. So basically, the, these these boosters are what we use to carry the weight of that, and they're basically composed of all these different segments of solid fuel, which are bonded together with um with um these thick rubber O-rings. Okay, mm-hmm. that's uh, the ones together with these seals and stuff. And so basically, that's that, that these these O-rings stop stop hot gases from leaking out, leaking out. And uh, if you leak, if the gases leak out, that can that can cause damage. Like it can burn burn the external tank and and basically blow it up. And so the, there was a fellow by the name of Roger Beaujolais who works for Morton Firecold, which was the company that actually builds these um these um these boosters. And I actually managed to interview Beaujolais um um a few a few months ago and stuff. He um Beaujolais he, he actually took photos of the um of the O rings from that mission from the SDS fifty one C and he noticed in this cold weather the O rings the the, the primary there's actually two O rings, there's a primary O ring and a secondary O ring. The primary O-ring had failed because of the cold weather. It had been frozen in, this, in the cold. And the secondary O-ring was less than a millimeter away from getting burned through completely. Okay, so he constantly, he constantly, he, he submitted a memo to his superiors basically saying that, that uh, we need to, we need to stop launching in, in cold weather. Otherwise we stand in jeopardy of losing a flight along with the crew and all the launch pad facilities. Yeah. Because yeah, he was afraid that this thing would blow up on the launch pad in that cold weather and stuff. Because like, had the S51C O-ring failed, okay, we would have had a had a had a had a shuttle blowing up as early as 1985, okay. But in 1986, just a year later, right, they um they had to they were planning to launch this thing with the Teacher in Space project, and the launch coincided with even colder weather. It was the 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 Discovery launch was 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 10 degrees Celsius. This one was minus one degree Celsius. And the night before the launch, right, Beaujolais and um, and Thompson and a few other Morton Fire Coal engineers, they got together with their management, and they basically t- they telephoned they telephoned um, Marshall Space Flight Center, the guys at NASA, who basically okay, they need to um, they need to run some some checks before the launch, and they need to know okay, is everything functional before we launch this thing? Right. And um, yeah, so basically they called up and they said, we advise not. Launching in cold weather, we, this is away from goodness, as they say, because they didn't know how, how low a pressure could, the, um, the, the O-rings could take. But obviously the minus, the, the 10 degrees Celsius, that was a clear indication that that, that, that was near, near disastrous. So, uh, you know, well, dear, we're, we're going to be even in even colder weather now. So that's even, that's, that, that's, 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 that's like, that's like the, sure enough to, to get your show blown up. Yeah. You know, so we advise not launching. And, um, the managers from uh, Morton Biocol said, they, um, first of all, we have um, George Hardy, one of the managers from Marshall. He said he was appalled by the decision, but he would only he would only launch if um, if um, if uh, the um, Biocol managers said it was safe to launch. And at this stage, Biocol was saying it was unsafe to launch. But various other managers at um, at Marshall were insisting that we launch. 
like uh, Lawrence Malloy, he actually he actually said that the data, the Feinfeld's data, was inconclusive, and that he actually challenged them to 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 come up with proof, you know, and they you know to to, to come up with further proof before they say what is um what it, what is safe and what isn't safe. And so basically, all these guys at, at Marshall were pressuring pressuring the managers at at um at uh, at Firecall to uh to basically basically change their minds and launch. And finally, the managers at Firecall they say, look, give us a moment, okay? We need to discuss this. And they go on hold. They wanted to go on hold for a minute, which ended up being about about half an hour or so, I think. And so the um the managers, Gerald Mason, um, uh, Joseph Kilminster, and Robert Lund. Okay, Robert Lund received the actual memo from Beaujolais, mind. Okay, the Beaujolais, the Beaujolais, the guy who said that we do not launch in cold weather. It is the memo. It's, it is the proof that it's, it's dangerous, you know. Yeah. So these guys were equally aware, but you know, pressured by the by the higher ups at NASA, you know, they they said, look, we need to, we need to uh, make to, this happen. To take a vote on this. We need to, we need to, we need to, to talk about this. We need to take a vote on it. And eventually, he, he the the guy said, you, you need to take off your engineering cap and put on your management cap. You no, know? and so when it looks like the um the uh, managers were changing their mind, um, Beaujolais and um and Thompson actually got up and um and you know tried to get them to ch- to realize that this is this is a bad idea. You know, don't don't change your minds. Look, we we we, we have to make sure we this this thing is postponed. You know, we we have to make sure it's it's in safe weather. You know, they but the managers they were it looked like they were changing their minds and they Thompson, they go up, you know, showing charts and, and stuff, showing the, the, you know, the calculations and stuff. But, and Bozlai, he got up there screaming, showing them his photos from the, from the damaged O-rings from the other mission, you know, basically screaming at them, look at this, you know, damn it, look at this, this is, this O-ring is nearly, is nearly burned away completely. Okay, what do you think is going to happen tomorrow if we launch in, in even colder weather? Yeah. But this, this time they were, they were told to basically just sit down and shut up, you know, and, um, all three managers agreed to, agreed to vote. To to uh, agree to vote to go to launch, and um, so they went off hold again and said to 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 um to Marshall it's a go to launch, it's a go to launch, and so it basically this was a purely a management decision. All the all the engineers were basically told to sit down and shut up at this stage, and so the the um obviously Marshall Space Flight Center immediately accepted their um their 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 new decision to launch, you know, which was basically they pressured them to into deciding, and so. And so basically they reported that to NASA's top management and stuff. And here's the thing too, right? The, um, the, um, another guy by the name of, um, Al McDonald, who was one of the, um, the fire coal guys, okay, he was, he was told that, um, that, um, even, even though we, even though we, we don't, we don't agree on this decision and stuff, we will most certainly reform the, um, inform the top NASA management of your concerns. They didn't. Right. They didn't. They didn't. Stanley, Stanley Ramatas, right? He, he did not form, form Jesse Moore or Arnold Aldrich, who were the two top management guys that, oh, the dangers and stuff. They, these guys claim they were, and these guys claim they weren't even aware of the, um, of any hazard and stuff. And so, and so the next day the, um, the O-rings froze up and they, they, they launched the shuttle and it, what happened? It blew up. It blew up, silenced all, all seven astronauts on board. Now, in the in the in the months that followed, right, the um, the um, the um, Marshall and um, and um, Firecall, they 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 ultimately tried to keep lids on everything, and the guys who were actually speaking up, continuing to speak up, Beaujolais and um, Thompson and all that stuff, they were effectively demoted as punishment for their honesty. It's very shady. It's very uh, shady. It's very, 
Yeah. Now I would I would like to point out that um Beausoleil, he told he told me that he didn't think it was murdered, but he does he does feel that it wasn't an accident. Does because like an accident is when you is when you do something you is doing a bad thing without prior knowledge of the consequences. He was screaming at the at these at these bastards, telling them that you launched in this in this weather, you're going to get the astronauts killed, and you got you got seven astronauts killed. You know, he was he he he, he really he really he really, he, was, he took it, he took a really turn for the worse because he became extremely extremely depressed. You know, he felt he had failed the astronauts. You know, he tried to protect them. Yeah. Tried to save them. In fact, they didn't the astronauts themselves. They were not even informed. You know, normally in the old days, you know, the astronauts would be informed of the shape of their spacecraft before they actually climb aboard. Here they weren't even at the teleconference, which they, which the arguments arisen. So, they, yeah, they, they, no, they probably had no idea of the danger that they were in, and they were effectively, it's like giving some guy the keys to a car that doesn't have any brakes. Exactly, yeah. That's what it's like. Yeah. That's what it's like. And so essentially you're saying that he thinks it was negligence, but you're saying that more likely or or... We have to give credence to the idea that they were trying to silence, uh, you know, Krista McCullough from potentially revealing the truth about what you can see from space. Yeah, pretty much. The um, whole, whole fact of the matter is that whichever way you look at it, whether it was negligence or whether it was murder, it clearly wasn't an accident. Because as Beaujolais said, an accident is when you do something that, um, that uh, without prior knowledge of the consequences, like if you accidentally... Um, uh, uh, exit out the door and actually basically walk into someone and stuff. That that would be considered an accident. Or if you um, or if you borrow someone's stereo and you end up breaking it by mistake, that would be an accident. When someone tells you that the shuttle is going to going to blow up if you launch in cold weather and yet you still launch in cold weather, that's no accident. Right. Right. I guess at the end of the day, Jera, the question really though is. I, I commend you, you know, for your passion and willing to, to go the the distance here on on proving one way or the other this uh, moon hoax theory. But I I wonder really, like, what's the point of it all? You know what I mean? Why? What difference does it make? We're not even going back to the moon anymore. And you know, it's like saying that Abraham Lincoln plagiarized the Gettysburg Address. It's like how. Like what's what's the point? I guess what's the motivating factor behind all this? Why do you think it's so important? to prove that we didn't go to the moon. Well, it's important to get the truth out, and whichever way you look at it, the mankind has nowadays become sort of dependent on on space. You know, like we've got many, many satellites up in, in space now for everyday use. You, people can't take it for granted. And people have constantly talked about maybe visiting other planets in the future, you know, like setting up civilizations and stuff, but these are just going to be dreams. We're not going to be able to get anywhere, okay, with NASA constantly perpetuating this lie that... um that the Apollo astronauts went to the moon, but, oh, we're not going back because it's too expensive. You know, the real reason why we can't go back to the moon is because of the radiation, you know, and until we can, look, until we can sort out this, okay, we need to get NASA to, to acknowledge, okay, you faked it, now let's try to work out how we can actually go to the moon for real, you know, how we can actually reach the stars someday. We're not, as long as people keep living in this fantasy world that, that oh, seven astronauts suddenly went there in this, in this flimsy, in this flimsily shielded spacecraft, you know, and uh, we're in all this radiation, and yet now we come, we come back, and suddenly we're not doing it anymore. Mankind needs to move forward, you know, and we're not going to be moving forward as long as as NASA keeps us living in this fantasy world. Right. Okay. So that's really that's sort of like the motivating factor behind all this for you is to is to is to sort of set the record yeah. straight and get us back on track, if you will. 
Yeah, exactly. You know, I, I as a kid, I dreamed of being the the first man. You know who my hero was when I was a child? When I was a child, my hero was um, Andy Thomas, the first one of the one of the Australian astronauts. Okay. Yeah. The Australian astronaut Andy Thomas, he flew the shuttle a few times. He flew the Mir space station and stuff. You know, and um, he, you know, I, I, I looked up to him. I wanted to, be, I wanted to follow in his. I wanted to be. He never, he never went to the moon, obviously, but I wanted to, I wanted to be an astronaut too. You know, I dreamed of, of going to Mars someday, and then I, and then I realized that the truth is, it's just bullshit. What they're saying about about how he went to the moon in in the 1960s were very little technology and stuff. Yeah. They, now and now we and now they're constantly saying, oh, we can't go back to the moon because of the um because of because it's too expensive. It's too ex- it's not nothing to do with budget. It's all about it's all about physically being able to survive the journey. Right. As long as they keep keep telling us it's garbage, you know, mankind is never going to move forward, and they we're never going to going to reach the stars. It's, it's important that we that we stop living in this in this in this science fiction fantasy world. Okay, get the facts straight. Okay, and then start putting on one working working out how to actually get there for real. Yeah, that's the, that's the, that's what really motivates me. It's important to get the truth out so we can move mankind forward. Let's say you're correct in this moon hoax theory, and 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 it eventually comes out. How do you see that unfolding? Because it 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 would have to be you know at least another generation from now, so so that the people who perpetrated the hoax wouldn't be persecuted. Do you know what I mean? How do you it's see? Not, let's put not, it this way. Let's let's put it this way in a hypothetical situation. Okay, the government is going to come forward with the the truth about the moon hoax. How do you see that unfolding then? Well, I imagine a lot of people will outright deny it. Other people will be, you know, have a big cry over it and stuff. Other people will just, you know, you know, be able to get over it and stuff. You know, maybe they will. Oh, maybe maybe they'll just be patriotic and say, oh well, maybe they had to lie to us because we needed to 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 beat the Soviets and stuff. You know, but. Some people just some people just have to have to accept the fact, and once once the world has accepted this fact that it's that it's fake, okay, we need to now now we can now we can try to focus on doing it for real, you know. We need to find out ways to shield the astronauts from the radiation, you know, because even on, even on short term mission, even a minor flare is as a hazard to a human, you know. Back in the 1960s, we were told that minor solar flares could deliver 25 rem per hour, depending on how much shielding you had. Right. And um, yeah, but nowadays we're told, oh, only the major flares can hurt you, and they and they say, oh, well, there's no major flares during Apollo, and there was major flares during Apollo. You actually look up the comprehensive flare index for major flares. This is Noah's information, and you find that there were major flares during this time, and so and so you got all, you got all this all this garbage that's that's just that's just out there to to propagate this bullshit by NASA, and once we get this bullshit out in the open, okay. Maybe now we can we can start working out how to actually do it for real. Yeah. You know? Because like as long as we're living in this in this bullshit world, you know, we're essentially gone back to the Stone Age in, in space terms. That's true. That's the issue I have with NASA. As I said, I'm still uh you know, I'm open minded to the moon hoax theory idea and I, I give it some Credence, I guess you'd say, uh, that I do find something very suspicious about the whole lunar missions, but I'm not on board necessarily with uh, the outright idea of a hoax. And hopefully that does not, you know, hopefully that doesn't not sit well with you. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I I, I respect and appreciate the research that you're doing. Yeah, yeah. Well, if like I said, if I if I can look through the telescope, the um the uh, telescope, the uh, what's it called, the VLT, and see if there's a lunar module up there, then I'll say, hey, I was wrong. Okay, congratulations, guys, you made it there. But if it turns out, you know, there's nothing up there and stuff, and I, well, then that's the that's the proof, and maybe then we can finally move mankind forward. 
Absolutely, yeah. Well, that's that's the hope that we can get this. I, I, you know, no matter how it happens, I'd like to see the space program get back on its feet in a big way. But yeah. you're saying yeah, that it's so limited by the natural problems of space flight that they refuse to acknowledge. Yeah, and it's not just that too. Because of the because of the Apollo program, we're getting so many wrong ideas about about the about the moon and about about space. Like the, the Apollo samples that NASA returned to supposedly returned from the moon turned out to be, you know, almost identical to to the to terrestrial basalts. You know, it had the same same chemistry, same mineralogy, same oxygenizative ratios. Yeah. And it looks like a duck, quacks like a duck's a duck, you know, and now they've now they found now the smart one probe that crashed into the moon finds out that the actual stuff that's up there is different. And that's effectively being swept under the rug. No one's ever it was announced in the news and then it was was just, just shunned. Shunned out of the spotlight completely. And God, I was taping the the program when they first announced this stuff, right? Eh? And so, so that's the that's the whole issue. We're getting so much wrong information about about space and about the moon because of because of NASA's bullshit. And when we need to effectively, once we once we get the this 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 um, this hoax exposed officially exposed, we need, we will have to effectively have to have to relearn everything we now know about the moon stuff because of all this nonsense that NASA has put out. That just makes you wonder if they're gonna, if it'll ever come out. What about the idea that private space travel is gonna unlock this mystery or or solve this debate in a way, where someone will die trying to go out to space? Not you necessarily on this mission, but you know they'll run into the problems with the radiation belts, and then that'll open the door to the revelations that you're talking about. Well, hopefully, hopefully, private space adventures will um will um will will will, will contribute towards the expose of the. Of the thing, the um as I as I as I recall correctly, they've got the um the private organization Space Adventures. Of course, they're working with the um with the um, Russian space program on this thing, which is one of NASA's um uh, partners and stuff. But of course, if we can, you know, if anyone dies on the on the lunar tourism thing, okay, then we'll know for sure that this thing is that this thing is is fake. And then of course, there's another the other fellow, Richard Branson, the guy from Virgin Airlines and stuff. He's started up the group Virgin Galactic. He's, he's, I believe he said on, an, on the um, on the telly a while back that he his ultimate goal is to put out a, a motel resort on the on the moon. Good luck with that. Yeah, yeah, you're saying that's not even possible. It's not even possible, you know. It's look, if if, it's, if if radiation is going to be such an issue during an, a simple moonwalk, you know, when NASA supposedly returns to the moon, you're going to have to be you know keep barked inside a cave for most of the time you're up there, okay. And then how are you going to how are you going to build a, a, a motel resort on the moon? How are you going to build this base there? Because obviously you know you're going to be having astronauts trying to build this thing, constantly bombarded by radiation. Okay, and so it's, it it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. So unfortunately, people people may very well die. You know, in the in in the process, maybe some people might actually build a rocket. You know, maybe and go to the moon thinking that they can get there because NASA said they can get there, and they end up dying in the process. You know, it's just it's just it's people are going to have to learn the hard way, unfortunately, it seems. That is uh, the case. If, if what you're saying is true, it's going to end up ugly, yeah. that's for sure. I know. So essentially, essentially, I feel obligated to put my life on the line, you know, because, like, I'm, as the grandson, you know, I, I feel heavily involved in this thing, and I feel like if anyone should should die just to prove that, that, the, that the radiation was deadly, you know, it should be me. It should be me who goes up there, I think. You know, I, I'm not afraid to die for the sake of the truth. I always wanted to be an astronaut as a kid, and so, you know, if astronauts, astronauts of, of all generations, they put their life on the line. Any, any mission, 
any mission could be deadly and stuff. And well, I, I'm, I feel, I, I feel that it is my duty to put my life on the line to, to, for the sake of the truth. All right. Well, I think that is commendable that you're, you know, willing to put your life on the line here uh, for this theory. And I'm sure, you know, you'll take some flack from people, especially the the moon landing proponents, you know, that that are so ardent about this. But, you know, I, I commend you, you know, for your passion about this subject. I think that, you know, regardless of how where I fall in the debate, I respect, you know, the, the links you're willing to go to, uh, you know, raise awareness of this issue and this debate. Now, what else is, you know, pertinent to this whole conversation? I'm sure, you know, you've put out 400-plus videos. So, I mean, I ask you this question with trepidation because I know we could go another, you know, hour and a half here talking more about the moon hoax and all the implications of it. But what sort of stuff may have fallen through the cracks here that that we should make sure we cover here on this, uh, you know, your initial appearance on the program? As I told you before, I recently... um. I recently managed to meet up with um, Adam Savage and Phil Plate at that um, at that convention. I also managed to meet up with um, with um, Buzz Aldrin, mm-hmm. Buzz Aldrin, you know, the um, supposed second man on the moon and stuff. Was like as we were talking about the moon rocks earlier and stuff. Recently, I, uh, this was this was one of the subjects I had planned on uh, meaning to delve into during the um, during the 40th anniversary was the fact that shortly afterwards, right, the one of the um, the moon rocks was on display in the um, Dutch Museum, which was a um, a gift to former Dutch Prime Minister Willem Drace. Okay, it turned out to be a piece of petrified wood. <laughs> and uh, yeah, this um this this was given out to the to the to the guy during the um during the Apollo 11 astronauts goodwill tour. See, they toured the world and stuff. They were during their time in Amsterdam. They were accompanied by the um the American ambassador. Now um basically um basically they um. From what I understand, they um, they they presented they, they gave this uh, moon rock to the ambassador, who presented it to the former Dutch prime minister. And so the ambassador, he um he has uh, he was he was commenting on these lines, and he said, I didn't know that this that this thing was. Uh, he was very interested in the rock, but that it's that it, I didn't know it was fake. That's news to me. Yeah. And so basically, uh, basically Aldrin, he was um appearing in Sydney this last October, right? And um, basically he was at the Australian Geographic Awards night, and uh, basically I purchased tickets to that, and um. I contacted the organizers to ask if it was possible to arrange an interview with him because I had a few questions I wanted to ask him. You know, one of them was obviously the Dutch Moonrock thing. Right. And um, basically, they told me it wasn't possible to schedule individual interviews and stuff, but they invited me to the um, to his press conference. He was giving an actual press conference during the um, just the night before the um, the day before the um, the actual ceremony. Yeah. And so, like, I went there. I went there with two cameras. Okay, I was sitting in the front row and stuff. And um, I, I asked him the question. I asked uh, when this, um, when you're in possession of this, uh, of this, uh, moon, this supposed moon rock, were you aware that this was petrified wood, or were you also, you know, led to believe that this was a genuine moon rock? You know, and he was like, petrified wood. Oh, that doesn't sound like that came from the moon. And then he started saying, that, okay, maybe they must have, must have switched the, um, the moon sample and stuff. So he seemed very, un, very uncomfortable answering the, um, answering that question and stuff. It certainly, certainly took him by. So certainly, he certainly wasn't expecting someone to ask him that. Yeah. Yeah. Very and strange. So after yeah. that, yeah, I know. And so I, I had a few questions I wanted to ask him, but I only was able to ask him one. And um, the very next day, the Sydney Morning Herald, they jumped on that and alleged that I was some antagonistic gay crush who had to be removed by security. This <laughs> in the article title. Yeah, I know. It was in the, it was in the newspapers. Security, we have a problem. Oh, my God. I complained to I know, I know. They just they just turned it into a into a media frenzy. That's the 
it brings us back to the whole issue of the propagandists and stuff. Because like if a if a conspiracy theorist talks to a uh, Apollo astronaut or or one of their their one of their fellow propagandists and stuff, okay, that's always oh he stalked him, he ambushed him and stuff. But if anyone else anyone else speaks to them, okay, they he they, you know they they they're good guys, you know. Like when I when I went up with um. With Plate and Savage at Cam 8, they alleged that I, oh, that I was a stalker, that I had, had stalked them today, I ambushed them and stuff. Well, I paid, I paid $175 to gain entry into that, to that venue, okay, and Plate and Savage were very open about their appearance there. I had as much right to be there as did anyone else who paid to get in. And being a documentary filmmaker, that makes me eligible to be granted interview, interview with the speakers. Right. I did not ambush anyone. I did not stalk any, I did not stalk anyone, you know. And same case with 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 um with Buzz Aldrin. Now I was invited to this thing. I was well, invited to this thing. Well, do you think then that maybe just to get really meta on this, that you know, I joked earlier that he was the wacky uncle of Moonhoax theory. But do you think maybe that that's sort of like the Bart Sabrellification of Moonhoax theory? I mean, in a lot of ways, I think he might have hurt the theory. I think he might have hurt the research community uh, of you guys who are who are advancing Moonhoax theory because. It became such like a national joke that he was punched by Buzz Aldrin for asking if they went to the moon, you know, and now you're being painted sort of uh, like he was. They're sort of insinuating you acted, you know, in a way that he behaved. Yeah, well, I didn't act, in, I didn't act any way where he behaved. You know, I was very civil. And so you can see the video on um, on YouTube. It's Jarrah White meets Buzz Aldrin and stuff. I was very, very polite. I didn't, I didn't um, insinuate anything against him. You know, I was just, okay, giving him the benefit of the doubt. You know, Mr. Aldrin, this rock turned out to be fake. You know, could you, what, what, can you please tell me what, you, what, what your side of the story? But was this, were you aware this was fake, or were you also, were you, were you, were you, or were you also led to believe this was a, was a genuine moonwalk? You know, I was just giving him the benefit right. of the doubt. You know. And so, and so he answered it, and then the media turns it into a, into a, they, they, into a frenzy. They, they actually compared me to, to, um, to, to Bart Sabrell. In fact, they said that, uh, that my actions were like similar to that. It's all in the, in the Sydney Morning Herald. That's what I'm talking Crazy. about. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, no. so you know, I, I complained, I complained bitterly about that. I, uh, and only after I showed them the, um, my invitation, they, they published, they published my, my email below the, below the article. You know, and um, but you know, some people have suggested I have sued the bastards. Yeah, well, huh? then you could fund your trip to the moon. <laughs> yeah, that's an idea. That's an idea. Yeah. Anyway, so far I've raised about um, uh, one hundred twenty, three hundred twenty-nine dollars. Okay, and um, you know, I still need to raise um, two hundred million. <laughs> but um, if any, if any, if any believers in the in the moon landing are listening out there, if anyone wants to wants to wants to put the money where their mouth is, you know, they've constantly said I wouldn't be convinced if I was flown there and shown the artifacts. Well, if anyone wants to put their money where their mouth is, feel free to send a donation. The donate the 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 um, PayPal address is flyjarrettothemoon at gmail dot com. Okay, you just send in any any money. It doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be small. It can be any price that you want. Okay, it all adds up. And uh, I'll be sure to acknowledge that you sent the price. I'll I can keep your email sent. I keep your I can keep your identity censored if you prefer. You know, I, and um, you know, if you want to remain anonymous, that's fine. Anonymous donor, that's all right. Oh, and uh, and I'll be sure to 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 post a video and saying, okay, you sent me this money. The price is the sorry the um the total amount is now this. Yeah. And so I've made it. Yeah. So I'll I'll be I'll be continuing to to fund this to fund this thing. You know, to um, until I either. Raise the money, or I'm, de- or I'm deemed unfit for, for uh, or too old for space travel, I guess. <laughs> I believe there's an age limit. 
the names were returned. At the rate they keep shipping the um, supposed return date back into the into the um, into the into the into the future, I'll be I'll be a bloody granddad before they actually before they actually set a proper date or something. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's a that's yeah. a good segue here to sort of the the wrap up question. You know. Uh, you know, between now and, and when you're deemed unfit to be sent to the moon, what's what's what do you have planned? You know, for the rest of this year, for the next few years, for the immediate future. You know, you you said you sort of started this out with one long essay that was practically a book. Have you thought about you know, as the grandson of Moon Hoax Theory, putting out that third generation book to to act as the capper to Casing uh, and, and 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 Renee. You know, a third book, if you will, uh, for this Moon Hoax lineage genealogy. The latest on on the moon hoax theory. Uh, what, what do you have cooking? Potential book? Maybe uh, putting this all together into a, a full length documentary. What can we look forward to in the future from Jero White? Well, as I said before, the, the essay itself was um, was needed needed a bit of editing. Like I needed to strip down a few of the less than pleasant things I had to say about my opponents. You know, because like you know back then you got you get you tend to get pretty angry at times every now and then. But you know I managed to develop. Develop a sort of tolerance. Anyone will say I'm very polite in my videos, and so I tend to keep keep the same style in my in my films. So, but the but project-wise, I've got a eight-hour, eight or so hour documentary series coming up. It's called Moon Faker, Moon Rocks Revisited, which is basically a um a um a look at various um new material regarding Apollo samples and um and uh, moon rocks and stuff about that has you know surfaced since they they originally put together Moon Faker Exhibit D, which discussed moon rocks and um the alleged laser reflectors and stuff like that. And um, basically, this, um, there, a lot has come up since then. You know, there's been some criticisms made and there's been a whole lot of new material popping up out of the woodwork, you know, like... And there's also some stuff that I missed completely that I felt I should have worked into there. And so, basically, this eight-hour thing which I've been working on for the past year now, it's nearly finished. I've only got about two films left to complete. Okay, each... Had to, I had to chop it up into each individual episode. So each episode is like... Well, like maybe an hour or half an hour or so long and stuff. So this film, this film series as a total is about eight hours or so in length. It covers everything. And so, um, that should hopefully be out in April, in April next, next month. In fact, by the time this, um, this, uh, radio show is on, is on the internet, it might already be up there by then. Probably, and, yeah. Uh, I've also yeah. got a, yeah. And I've also got a new website coming up, moonfaker, moonfaker.com, which will basically, um, be, uh, we have, um, uh, frequently asked questions page, a, um, a site where people can view all my videos and um, various places where people can actually, you know, uh, uh, contact me, you know, like ask a question or send um, send in donations for my fundraise or um, or request an interview like, you, like you're doing right now, obviously. And, um, and uh, so, yeah, hopefully that should be at around the same time as the, um, as the, uh, as the, as the Moon Rocks Invisited series. And uh, I've got many, many more projects on the way, but that's the, that's the big one that I've been working on for um, the past year or so. I started in, um, in around, um, around April last year, I think it was, and I've just been working on it since. You know, like I, I've been accumulating all the, um, all the, um, all the, all the stuff that had happened, you know, since, since the release of my first Moonrock series and now, you know, all the stuff that I missed, all the stuff that came up, you know, like the Dutch Moonrock thing, the L cross impact, the, um, the, um, and many, many other things that I, that, I, that, uh, that, uh, that, has, that has happened, and so I've managed to all work in there, and I'll also be, I'll also be challenging the various criticisms that some propagandists have made in response to my original video on moon samples, and uh, so yeah, that should be all be out in, um, in April. 
Awesome, awesome. Well, folks should definitely look out for that. And if they want more from you, they can go to youtube.com slash white Jera, and you spell the whole thing, uh, obviously, youtube.com, then slash uh, the word white, W-H-I-T-E-J-A-R-R-A-H, or go to moonmovie.com, and hopefully moonfaker.com will be up and running soon. And, of course, links can be found all over Banal of America, so you'll be able to get your hands on this information from Jera White. I also recommend uh, the um, Bill Casey tribute site and, uh, of course, Ralph Renee's site, you know, to get their message out. You know, you can go to ralphrene.com, you know, to get Renee's book, and you can go to the um, Bill Casey tribute site, which is billcasing.com, which is a site in honor of in honor of the grandfather. There you go. All right, yeah, so be sure to check out those sites as well. And, uh, yeah, well, i got to thank you here, Gerard, for coming on the show. I know you're like 15, 16 hours ahead of me there, so I actually woke you up by accident because I was confused about the time difference. So uh, I really appreciate you taking some time out of your Sunday morning to appear on the program here. Uh, fascinating discussion on this moon hoax theory. As I said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of on the fence about this. I don't totally discount what you guys are saying, and I think that there was definitely something very fishy going on. So I find your work to be pretty fascinating. And, uh, you know, I watched the debate with quite a wrapped uh, expression, you know, enjoying the, the battle that goes on here between you guys and the uh, the propagandists. And, you know, whether you agree or disagree with Jera's point of view on the moon hoax, you got to give him credit for, you know, being a warrior here in the world of esoterica and really putting in the hard work, putting in the travel miles, and really willing to go above and beyond, and as he said, right up to uh, the precipice of doom, if not death, to prove that the moon landing was hoaxed. So, you know, kudos to you, Gerard. I wish you the best of luck. Hopefully this isn't the last time we talk. And uh, keep me posted and keep the listeners here posted on, uh, you know, the latest developments here in your research into the moon hoax theory. No worries. It was a pleasure being on here. And um, I hope to be on the show again if you want me back. And uh, thanks a lot. Thanks. It's been wonderful. It's been a time and a half. That does it for this installment of BOA Audio Season 6. Big, big thanks to Gerard White for coming on the show. Check out his websites, moonmovie.com, moonfaker.com, and youtube.com slash whitejera. And you spell that W-H-I-T-E-J-A-R-R-A-H. And now, before we say goodbye to Jera White, he wrote to me, having heard the interview before we aired it, and want to just clarify one mistake that he made. He says that in the interview he said that Bill Casing learned of Thomas Ronald Barron before his chat with John Grant, but actually it was vice versa, although Casing was very aware of the Apollo 1 fire prior to his discussion with Grant. So there you go, that applies to the part we were talking about, the Apollo fires. So a little clarification there from Gerard White, doesn't want to get those propagandists in a tizzy over a slip of the tongue. Totally understood. Moving right along now, we're going to skip BOA Audio listener feedback because, first of all, it's been like three weeks since we produced an episode, and a lot of people are talking and are outraged or confused by what's going on. So I want to address all that and sort of uh, clear things up so people know what's going on with the program. It's ironic. It's been a just tumultuous season here, season six, trying to get these shows out to you. All these different technical problems almost since the very beginning of the season, definitely since the start of the year. It's been just crazy, starting with 
us having to drop all of the theme music from previous episodes, and then a whole bunch of other stuff, culminating, of course, in the double episode we put out on April 25th. I'm an idiot, really, is one big way to put it, because I thought it was going to be great that we put out two episodes in one day, and I just did not account for the huge amount of bandwidth that was going to take, and it blew out our servers in Canada, the folks who were hosting the show for us, and they'd had enough. They threw up their hands. They said, BOA Audio is out of here, man, and they shut down the whole archive of programs, so if you're trying to listen to the show right now, well, if you're trying to listen to the show here in 2011, May of 2011, I should just go back and and edit this out sometime in the future when everything's all straightened out, but nonetheless, if you're listening to the program here in May of 2011, and you can't hear it streaming audio-wise, and you can't get the show via iTunes, and you can't download the full show MP3s from the site, that's because our hosts up there in Canada pulled the whole shebang down. That happened literally the day we put out the double episode, so we had to scramble and find out what we were going to do, and luckily we have struck up a deal here with our new audio host slash distributor. I think I'm just going to call them our audio distributor here going forward, because that's really what they're going to be doing for us in a huge way. Of course, I'm talking about CyberEars.com. They're the folks who have helped us out in a big way. Uh, Big props to the folks at Paratopia who suggested I get in touch with the guys at CyberEars. So where was I? Let me get back on track here with this story. So we reached out to CyberEars, came to an understanding, and uh, we are bringing the program over to CyberEars. They're going to be hosting the BOA Audio MP3s, and they are going to be doing the streaming audio for us as well, which is huge. From a technical standpoint, folks, up until this past couple of weeks and this big imbroglio, we had been really running the whole operation on 2005-2006 technology here. The stuff that I learned when I first created the program. And along the way, little bugs seemed to be piling up over the years that we just could not get around to fixing. By moving the whole show over to Cyber Years, it's going to be so much smoother. They're going to take care of the whole iTunes feed. They're going to have a whole bunch of additional stuff that I just never could even come up with. Stuff that will tie into like the iPhone and the Android and stuff like that. That There's no way I'd be able to do. And they're going to be reliable because they are geared towards hosting and distributing podcasts. So that's the perfect place for BOA Audio and a much better operation than what I've been doing the last five years, which is running the whole distribution wing of BOA Audio myself. Quite frankly, the technology is beyond me at this point, and I need to bring in some professionals who know something about distributing podcasts. So that's what we're doing here with the Cyber Years folks. They are outstanding, and I couldn't be happier to be working with them And it takes a huge stress off of my plate because it's going to just clear a lot of work for me in the long run. So it's a good sign for BOA Audio. It's a great turn of events. Uh, I know things have been crazy here this season. We're going to get it all back on track. Don't worry. We're in the midst of switching the entire BOA Audio archive over to Cyber Ears. Once that's done, all the links and everything else is going to be fixed at Banal of America. It's quite a project. We had to take out, obviously, all the theme music that we'd used in the past and replace it with the songs that have been contributed by the BOA Audio listeners, so you'll be hearing that kind of stuff, too, when the archive gets freshly posted. And I'd say we're at about three-quarters of the way done with that. I think we just have to get Seasons 4 and 5 taken care of, and then all the past episodes here from Season 6 
thrown up there. But we're in good shape as far as that goes. But it's quite the project. I'd like to say that BOA Audio is going to continue unabated here over the next few weeks, and I'm pretty sure it will. we got a great episode lined up for you next week. It may not be next week, maybe two weeks from now, but that's how the program rolls, folks. That's how it's going to have to keep going, because that's what BOA Audio has evolved into. And so to wrap it all up, BOA Audio Archive took a huge hit from our previous hosts. We found new hosts. We're moving it over there. That's why things have been crazy for us the last few weeks. It's ironic because right before that happened, it seemed like everything was going on full cylinders. We were back and up and running in a big way. And then, boom, just got nailed with a huge, huge pain in the ass. But something that, in the long run, is going to be enormously beneficial to the program. I could keep rambling about this. Uh, if you have any other questions, feel free to shoot me a line, boaaudio at hotmail.com, or go to binallofamerica.com, B-I-N-N-A-L-L of America.com and click the contact button, or just find me on Facebook or Twitter or join up at the official BOA forum, theusofe.com, T-H-E-U-S-O-F-E.com, or go to Banal of America and click the forum button. Don't worry about the program. I've gotten a lot of emails from people who were very confused by what was going on here because just you couldn't get any of our old shows all of a sudden and were really wondering and worried about us. Don't worry. Everything's fine. You know, people are freaking out too much. Everything's cool. It's been crazy, but that's what happens when you reach the level that Banal of America has. It is just small problems are enormous problems. That's really (laughs) the best way to put it. That's how it ends up here on the show and at BOA. Speaking of which, why don't we do the thanks part of the show now? Allow me to give my just unending thanks and appreciation to the outstanding and esteemed BOA staff, Leslie Chiron, Regan Lee, Joe V, Tina Senna, Rochelle Hawks, Richard Thomas, Marla Pena, Bruce Pretty, Tony Morrill, our contributing cartoonist, Andy Carollin, and our webmaster, Jeremy Boston. There, I got them all in that time. You guys are the best. Thank you for sticking with BOA during this rough stretch. We've got a ton of columns from these guys that I've been dying to put up and get posted at BOA. So come on over to the website. You're hearing me right now, so you know I'm telling the truth. There's tons of cool stuff at Banal of America right now. We say it all the time, and it is the truth, my friends. If you're only listening to BOA audio and you're not reading the columns at Banal of America, then you're only getting half of the story. BOA, make it a part of your everyday search for esoteric news and opinion. Normally, this is the part of the program where we have to turn to you folks out there and ask to make a donation to BOA and BOA Audio. But as we have been plugging on the last few installments of the program, we are helping to produce a film with Red Star Films titled Beyond Best Evidence, The UFO Enigma. It's going to feature a whole bunch of really awesome names in the world of ufology, giving us their perspectives on what it all means, what this UFO phenomenon is at the end of the day. And we are crowdsourcing the funding for this project, so we want you guys to help us out and help us to make it happen, if you can, of course. You can go to Indiegogo.com UFO. Once again, Indiegogo, I-N-D-I-E-G-O-G-O.com UFO. For more information and find out about our donor system, each different level of donation comes with a whole bunch of different cool stuff. So you're not just getting a thanks and a pat on the back, you're actually getting access to interesting aspects of the production or just cool bonus benefits. 
So check out Indiegogo.com slash UFO for more information on Beyond Best Evidence, the UFO Enigma. Now let's talk a little bit about who we have lined up for you on the next edition of BOA Audio. We're going to be looking at the film that is really generating a lot of buzz in the world of Esoterica right now, talking about Eyes of the Mothman, and we've got Matthew Palowski and Anastasia Constantino on the program to talk about it. This thing was really the brainchild of Matthew Palowski. He's the director and creator of the film, and Anastasia was one of the staff and crew behind the whole project. She may have even been a producer. I don't have the information right in front of me, but... Nonetheless, Matthew was sort of the diehard Mothman enthusiast, and Anastasia was sort of someone who hadn't heard of the story before and really got knee-deep into the mess when they made Eyes of the Mothman. Now, I feel kind of bad saying this, but I should point out Eyes of the Mothman is streaming on Netflix right now, so anybody out there with Netflix can actually watch this film in anticipation or follow-up to our interview here with Matthew Palowski and Anastasia Constantino. I may not say that on the episode next week, because I don't want to really hurt these guys. I don't know how you get paid if your show is already on Netflix. But since we're talking to the hardcore BOA audio listeners, and you've been waiting so long for another edition of BOA, I figured I'd give you a little heads up that for those folks with Netflix streaming, you can check out Eyes of the Mothman right now. We're going to be talking about the Mothman phenomenon. We're going to be talking about the film. A lot of weird stuff happened in the making of Eyes of the Mothman. You're going to hear about that stuff. Really wild, wild stuff. Tune in next time on BOA Audio. Matthew Palowski, Anastasia Constantino, the makers of Eyes of the Mothman. And on that note, let's close the book on another edition of BOA Audio Season 6. Big, big thanks once again to Jera White for coming on the show. No folks to thank for listener feedback. We'll bring it back next time around, I promise. And the only folks left to thank, of course, are you guys out there listening right now. The hardcore BOA audio listeners, the ones who stick around to the very end when my voice is dying and I don't have anything else to say. Thank you guys for your support. I love making this program. I'm not going anywhere anytime soon. Don't stress out. Things are just going to get bigger and better from here. Thank you for making BOA Audio a part of your esoteric audio playlist. Until next time, this is Tim Benall, thanking you for listening and signing off.